This week's Talking Simpsons is brought to you by Verve. Do you like streaming classic cartoons like Doug? Anime like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and Dragon Ball Super? Original cartoons like Bee and Puppy Cat? Even classics like Freakazoid that you won't find anywhere else? Those are all being carried by Verve. And you can get a 30-day free trial of service on Talking Simpsons if you just head to vrv.co slash WAC. Check it out. this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody, welcome to Talking Simpsons, where the animals are always the first to know. I am your host, Butthole Surfer, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who else is here with me today? Uh, Henry Gilbert, and I'm using my main finger to record <laughs> this. <laughs> Who else is here? Hi, I'm Liz Ryerson, and I am making it my business to be a third wheel. Excellent, that's <laughs> like all of our guests. <laughs> and today's episode is Hurricane Nettie. Today's episode aired on December 29th, 1996, the last episode of 1996. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. Oh boy, Bobby. John Travolta's Michael is number one at the box office, letting mm-hmm. angels walking in. <laughs> the first E! True Hollywood story airs about Selena, and at the top of the Billboard music charts is Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart. Oh boy. Oh. That would stay there for till the end of time, I'm guessing. <laughs> it was quite a popular one. I remember in um, John Hodgman's book or one of his books somebody wrote in with like scrabble problems and saying like my friend said unbreak isn't a word but it's in a song and then he's like well if it's not in the dictionary you're playing with that no matter how popular tony braxton is it's not a scrabble is he uh from harvard or yale he's a yale he's a yale that's why he doesn't write for the he has the boorish manners exactly (laughs) to be that much of a pedant about uh actual words those are boorish manners he's slightly playing a character i know I know. <laughs> what is Selena the one who was like killed by her fan? Yes, yes, by her number one fan who was also her fan club manager. Manager, yeah. yeah. That's so crazy because there was like a YouTuber who this happened to oh, like yes. recently. That, I can't remember. That musician and I know we're doing her a disservice, but the, I think the YouTuber you're thinking of is Christina Grimmy. She was shot by a fan like at an event, but that's always something that, not that I am of Christina Grimmy caliber of stardom, but you never know who's going to show up at, uh, at an event, especially if if a famous conservative hates you. Yeah, that, that doesn't help. But I, the Selena thing, I, rem, I remember that E! True Hollywood story because the weirdest thing in it is that the, the suspect in her, well, not suspect, the perpetrator of her murder, she was just giving interviews in it. And they just did an interview with her. And this was like before the trial. Like it was. Oh my gosh. And they came to points and they were like, so what did you do? And she's like, my lawyer tells me not to talk about that. My oh lawyer boy. Tells me and, wow. Yeah. And, uh, but that each Hollywood story, we talked a bit about AJ Benza on our, uh, family yes, guy. But that was East ho- uh, mysteries and scandals, oh, not yes. true Hollywood story. They're different shows, Henry, <laughs> different shows. I don't know how you guys like, have such an encyclopedic knowledge of all this um, stuff. It's mainly looking things up on Wikipedia and then okay. pretending we knew them all along. Don't cool. tell anybody, oh shit, I just recorded this. <laughs> well, I do, I do remember watching John Travolta's Michael and uh, I believe Eddie the dog from Frasier, or at least a lookalike to that dog, is a major character in it. And the second I saw that dog, I was like, something's going to happen to that dog. <laughs> we watched that for some reason, uh, you know, like when the teacher would be hung over and put on a movie. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we watched that in uh, in high school for whatever reason, and I'm like, is this just because there's an angel in it? By the way, I went to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, oh, it's Christian enough, whatever. It's the <laughs> Michael, the one in the Bible. Yeah. Michael's right here on screen. Oh, okay, that's what it's about. See, I don't even remember that movie at all. It was one of two touchy-feely Travolta movies. There was that in Phenomenon. Yes. In uh, which he had a brain tumor that gave him magic powers. That he thought was from aliens, and yeah. then he just died from a brain tumor. Right, it was a feel-good yeah. hit of 1995. The, the, the most depressing twist of all time. Yes. That was, uh, I thought that, I had magic powers, but it turns out it was uh, just a brain tumor. God, those tumors are always fooling you. It was on that set where he befriended Forrest Whitaker, who would, which would lead him to be the co-star in Battlefield Earth with him. Mm, <laughs> another classic, cinematic classic. So we're in LA right now. You might notice a different room tone. Don't worry, you'll get used to it. Uh, but we have a special LA guest, Liz Ryerson. I know Liz from Berkeley. Yes, we were both on the mean streets of Berkeley, crawling with MS-13 gang members and roving bands of Antifa, but we survived to mm-hmm. make this podcast so Liz, who are you? What do you Somehow. do? And uh, you do a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, I, I do some like video game writing, video game journalism type stuff. I do music for games sometimes and also I've done some game design. And lately I've been doing a podcast called Beyond the Filter, which we were just talking about earlier. It's kind of like the theme of it is a variety of different guests. Um, like I'm a video game person sort of, but like I've had a tons of different kinds of guests on there. And a lot of it is about sort of new media and and things that are kind of unique to the internet, phenomena that are kind of unique to the internet. And one of the recent episodes, I had uh, Felix Biederman from yeah. Chapo Trap House. That's the episode we were talking about. And uh, he's talking about his kind of history growing up on the internet. Um, so you can definitely check that out. I also have a Patreon. Um, you know, I'm not a, not a big earner, but that's okay. I don't like, I'm not like, I don't post content as much. But, you know, it's, uh, I like doing a lot of different kinds of things and that, you know, especially things that other people aren't doing or talking about in the same way. Right. I mean, well, there, well the, there are no small Patreons, only small people, but I have to say I love I love the Felix interview because it is very, it captures what the early aughts internet was like and how it sort of warped and mutated into the, the Chan culture that decided our president in a way. Yes, and well, and I know you are definitely a staple of, of something awful. Yeah, so. I still am. I'm, I'm embedded in that book as a staple <laughs> forever. <laughs> I also liked that Felix interview. You both kind of talk about how Simpsons and also the critic were yeah. really essential to like your formative comedic minds as, as kids. Well, yeah, and he said, like, he was he grew up in Chicago, a suburb of Chicago, and he was saying that, like, you know, his his family is, he's Jewish, his family's, and, like, um, that, like, The Critic was, like, their their favorite show, or, mm-hmm. you know, it's, like, a show that, like, they, which is interesting, it kind of goes back to what you guys were saying about The Critic actually being more popular in the Midwest than it was yeah. <laughs> on the East Coast, which I find really interesting, but I, I feel like it's often that way with that kind of mm-hmm. well new york seems so exotic to uh, me growing up in ohio oh, yeah. Man, yeah yeah i was those uh, hillbilly cops who were just like <laughs> talking about the uh well so uh how early of a simpsons viewer were you so i honestly don't remember like um because i'm a little bit younger than you guys mm. i i mean i remember the simpsons because the simpsons was everywhere like yeah when i was a kid like i was I think three or four when The Simpsons came out. I was, it was like 90 or 91. Mm. I was like three or four. And The Simpsons was just around, like, we definitely watched it, um, you know, at home. But the, the episodes that I really, I really remember watching when they were new, when they came out, was season seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and and I got a lot out of listening to your shows because, like, I, I felt like every almost every episode of season seven kind of had this interesting kind of taking a facet of the Simpsons universe and twisting it a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
And that's why I'm, you know, when you, when I was listening to podcasts, you guys talking about season four and everything, you know, that's the kind of agreed upon classic season. But for me, it was always season season seven because, you know, and when I looked back and when I sort of rediscovered The Simpsons, almost every episode that I remembered watching and really having a strong emotional attachment to was almost all in season seven, because Mm -hmm. I think I was like just the right age for it, where I actually understood like what was going on in the episodes. And a lot of the season seven episodes are a little bit more like grounded in reality in terms of the story while still being like you know funny simpsons i think season four being the quote-unquote best season was the popular theory i ascribed to until the dvd started coming out Mm -hmm. and now i believe i said uh on a podcast i think six is my favorite with like seven being a super close runner-up i don't know how do you feel about that henry i'm i'm kind of there too i i think five to me five is the funniest season but not the best season because yeah. i do think uh, you you convinced me with six having like six has bart's comment one of my favorites yeah it has uh who shot mr burns part one which i think we said on that one is even if it's not what i would literally call my the favorite simpsons episode it is the perfect simpsons episode yeah i think six but seven is really close behind and i think it's it's because six was the best balance of like i think dave merkin brought the most humor like like laughs per minute to mm-hmm. it yeah and then meanwhile you had six those started having more of the Oakley and Weinstein influence of uh, that you you really get head on in season seven and in season four as we cover not to be a broken record here but like everyone was leaving everyone was tired everyone thought the show would end uh, Al Jean and Mike Reese are developing the critic like <laughs> not that they weren't working hard it's just like their brains could only do so much with the and, show and they do stuff like the front which still has tons of funny stuff in it but is Oof. such a like loose ass episode <laughs> yeah. yeah well in comparison a lot of like the episode we're about to talk about, a lot of these episodes are much more tightly plotted and mm. less of the like twisting and going around, but much stronger like A plots in them. Yeah, in, in seven and eight, they're so rarely a B plot. Like I think because they're so into the plot they're telling, the, the main narrative they're telling, they don't want to take any time away from that with like Homer having a tea party or, or something. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing I liked about season seven is I identified a lot with Lisa as a kid mm. because... I didn't have I didn't grow up I didn't have the best family situation Mm -hmm. and like you know like a lot of people I feel like in some ways sort of raised by media um, I don't have the encyclopedic knowledge that you guys do but I the stuff that I was Uh into like I really really was into and Lisa I think was one of the first maybe the first character and and I was almost exactly that age too at the time I think it was eight during season seven when it was on and there were several episodes about Lisa like the one where she becomes a vegetarian like the Lisa the Iconoclasts so I think like her being kind of also the me sort of having a developing sense of like moral morals about the world and what things are right (laughs) and what things are wrong and like Lisa was always the mouthpiece of that in the midst of a show which is often kind of just nihilistic sometimes (laughs) yeah for sure yeah even in in season seven as well in, in an episode where Lisa has less of a part she still is a good voice of reason like in King Size Homer it's constantly jokes about exploiting disability and how there's even a comment about like employee disability is just it's a lottery for idiots which like I don't I don't like that view but then Lisa she has to be the one to just soberly say like this is meant to actually help people please dad don't do this like 
this is yeah. a good program. Well, and that's like the grounding that the show once, I think Lisa was, uh, that was my biggest complaint about the show. Because like everyone else, I really kind of burned out on The Simpsons, you know, around season nine, 10. Mm-hmm. I think I, I had a really hard time because like Lisa was such a big voice and it felt like she just went silent, like in a lot of those episodes. Or, or she like, was a punching bag, I would say, too, right? Yeah. It's like Meg on Family Guy. Yeah. Or she kind of fulfilled a Meg role where it's like, oh, she's complaining all the time or she's whining all the time. Yeah. Or they, perhaps in an effort to make her seem more her age of an eight year old, they then not dumb her down, but definitely like defang her a bit. Like that. She's not the Lisa who, who throws red paint at the Keebler the, the <laughs> employees. That's right. Yeah. It, but it's, it's, the thing of like and this is the thing that i come back to you know when you talk about continuity errors when you talk about like things that just break reality in the show it's an animated show and it like represents a lot of different things at once like there's a lot of different archetypes that are represented in lisa or Mm. or ned flanders or any of these characters so you know you think that maybe making them more realistically like kids would be better but it actually kind of takes away that component of the show mm-hmm. like and for me like I, it was really hard for me like i actually because i really liked the simpsons and i would talk to people about like like i can't watch the show anymore and they're like what are you talking about it's still funny and they would like you know joke about like episodes in season season 11 and 12 and i just like i that was like my first uh, awareness of that like something that i loved could just kind of turn really bad and i didn't really understand why i don't know i'm not and i like you know i, I don't think it's it's it was terrible or whatever, but like, I think part of it is that season seven and eight really, and eight to a lesser extent really set up these characters in a way that you really connected with them and related to them. And it kind of hurt to just have that. Yeah. And and I, I think that some, seasons that immediately follow this like or felt like they had to do damage control from what these seasons did which yeah. is an unneeded feeling in that especially there's re- instances of that with this episode yes. Hurricane Nettie of that they completely changed afterwards like oh we don't want to do this with Ned felt like the yeah. kind of feeling after this episode aired. I feel like they gave the writers of the future seasons a gift in new ideas for these characters but they were more interested in returning to the status quo but I think we'll cover a lot of that as, yeah. we, as we approach those yeah. seasons for sure yeah. uh, do you want to get into this episode though yes well, yeah, so we have a we have a new writer alert yes. has it ha- has not happened in a long time right mm-hmm. so this writer is steve young as we go over in the past every season needs a few freelance scripts per season because of guild rules it's a way to give newcomers a chance to break <laughs> into the tv industry but uh steve young the writer went to the harvard lampoon so that's basically a simpsons writer's room day pass like <laughs> it gets you into the room for a day to write an episode i want to go over the history of steve young it's pretty interesting so his journey began in 1989, where he wrote for the short-lived uh, the Comedy Channel series, The Sweet Life. Uh, it ran from 89 to 90, and it was a sketch-slash-comedy show featuring the singer-slash-actor Rachel Sweet. I didn't know who this woman was, and yesterday I was supposed to do research for this episode. I, I ended up doing it today because I went down a real sweet hole on the internet, and her music is great. It is like 80s bubblegum pop, but it is like super catchy, super great, and actually she's, she sang the first version of Shadows of the Night before Pat Benatar did, and it's an interesting take on that, but I have a I have a uh, promo for her the Sweet Life show. So there are so many things named the Sweet Life that that exist. (laughs) It was impossible to find any like Wikipedia entry, but I found a Comedy Channel promo. So even more history. Comedy Central exists today. In the late '80s, early '90s, there was also the Comedy Channel and Ha. There was not a market for two comedy channels, so they they smashed together (laughs) to be Comedy Central. And I believe the first season of MST3K was a Comedy Channel show. That's right. Yeah, I, I. 
remember briefly going between Ha and Comedy Channel. Like one had SNL, one didn't. One I wasn't watching MST3K, but so yeah. this promo, you don't have to play the whole thing because like all early cable problems, it's it's way too long. But you can see just like the weird desperation and like what is the show we're making? So, but um, I think I'm in love with Rachel Sweet is what I'm going to say. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rachel Sweet, and I bet you think you're funny. Well, we here at the Comedy Channel want to give you a chance to prove it. So just grab your video camera and show us how funny you can be. Dad, dad, dad. Okay, okay. That's right. Send us your own homemade brand of comedy. And you might see it on the air during my show, The Sweet Life. Now, I know you're probably saying, sure, I'm funny, but how can I compete with Rob Lowe? I mean, his home video is How can anyone? Exciting, yes, but I mean, talk about tacky. (laughs) No, that's not for us. That's enough. She's talking about the sex tape. Yeah, she's talking about the sex tape. Yeah. So that's that's how old this promo is. But you can hear her on the show like, "Why don't you make our show?" Yeah. Uh, by the way, you're not going to get your tapes back, and you don't get we don't we won't give you anything for making comedy for us. It's not even like America's Funny Some Video. It's like you make sketch comedy for us, and we'll put it on TV. It's sort of like early crowdsourcing. <laughs> And when you think about making it on VHS, like, how many of the people who sent that in had thought of, like, I should make a copy of this before I send yeah. it in? Yeah, if you have two VCRs, which, wow, you're, you're a high roller in 1989. So that's the first show he worked on. We're still talking about Steve Young, by the way. The second show he worked for was uh, one episode of Not Necessarily the News, which was a real Harvard Simpsons den. So Al Jean wrote for it. Mike Reese wrote for it. Conan O'Brien wrote for it. Ian Maxstone Graham wrote for it. Greg Daniels wrote for it. Rob Lezebnik wrote for it and one other oh. Simpsons writer wrote for it. It was like sort no of... No Scoville. No Scoville too. Yeah. So it was a real like pre-Simpsons Harvard Lampoon den of sin <laughs> and debauchery. <laughs> so Steve Young was also a huge Letterman writer just like a lot of former uh, just like a lot of Simpsons writers. So he wrote for David Letterman from 90 to 93 and then wrote for David Letterman again from 99 to 2009. He also adapted Whoa. the uh, children's book All of the Other Reindeer, oh, which I heard yeah. is a good. T- I yeah, heard it's a good I, TV special. I, I saw that, yeah, because yeah. I've actually seen that book before. Okay, yeah, I, I, people told me that TV special is good, but it came out like twenty years ago. I totally missed it's, it. It's a cutesy CG one to make it look like the flat characters of the book. Yeah. and Drew Barrymore, I believe, not just was an executive producer on it, but it plays Olive as well. Yeah, and, she's the main character in and that. And it is, uh, it's a bunch of clever wordplay jokes that she. It is a dog named Olive that wants to be a reindeer. So she's Olive, Olive the other the reindeer. reindeer. And I th- remember there's another one called like Round... Oh yeah, Round John Virgin. They meet a person named John Virgin. John Virgin. Who they're, and he's oh. overweight. He's like, Round John Virgin, Mother and Child. Okay. <laughs> Round John Virgin is not, a, it's not <laughs> yeah. a great name to that have. That sounds like a Reddit community. <laughs> it's, oh, God. But yeah, it, it's just all about the misheard lyrics of oh, classic okay. carols. I knew nothing about this. So... Uh, these later things Steve Young worked on are not as high profile as uh, David Letterman The Simpsons. He wrote for the six-episode-long variety show uh, Maya and Marty in 2016. It came and it went in a blink. It starred Maya Rudolph and Martin Short. It was called uh-huh. Maya and Marty. It was a that variety is not show. not a combination that no. I can picture together. It's a bad idea. It was a <laughs> Lord Michaels produced variety show, canceled after six episodes. And the last thing he worked on was a ton of episodes of Harry, the Harry Connick Jr. talk show. What? <laughs> what? I didn't know this what? existed either. Yeah, so <laughs> that is Steve Young. And yeah. But again, a, a guy who wrote on the Lampoon with all those guys, and it does, you know, I'm sure he, he did a great job with this, but this also was an idea handed to him that was a George Michael. 
Myers. Yes, idea. that's right. And so it's it just feels really like cheating. They're like, well, who are we going to get as freelance? Oh, this friend of mine who I just want to get a job and who we'll just give him the whole plot and he'll just write it. Like, it <laughs> you can have heavy creative input about what they're going to do already. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I would love to be a freelance. I, I'm not a script writer, but imagine if I was a freelance script writer who then the one of the best team of Simpsons writers ever just said, <laughs> here's the entire, like, here's 80% of what we want to do in this episode. Now write that. I'm like, hell yeah. Fill in the blanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was more work than that. Come on. I don't want to get uh, Steve Young uh, leaving angry comments. Oh, and also this is a Bob Anderson directed one. Oh, yeah. He's great. Uh, he's one of two Andersons, not related, that are directing The Simpsons at this point. <laughs> and this uh, this was another G- uh, George Meyer idea, I believe, too. They really love that George Meyer on the... I think this is still when he was like kind of not working as much on the show. Like he, I think he didn't really come back until the Scully seasons, because Mike Scully really counted on George Meyer. Yes. But the George Meyer is on the commentary for this, and he's pretty fun talking about how this was partially inspired by a sketch that his uh, friend Jack Handy of SNL never got a right for SNL which was about the classic uh, elves who and the cobbler who they build all the shoes overnight and the cobblers uh, sell all the shoes in time but in this case the elves made them all terribly and they're just <laughs> shitty shoes and the elves and the cobblers to go like well I mean thanks but I can't sell these they're bad <laughs> does he have a nervous breakdown or I th- I think oh no yes that the last part of the scene is that the cobbler leaves the room and you hear a single gunshot off screen. That sounds like a George Meyer joke to me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's one of the things that I like about this episode is even in the midst of like a fairly straightforward plot, mm-hmm. like there's all these like little bits and vignettes yeah. that are like yeah. not even part of the main plot, but there's are a, really there's good. There's a lot of great set pieces in this. Just like mm-hmm. there are sketches within this episode that could exist independently, but they work well within the context of a full story. Well, the way this episode starts, I grew up in Florida, which is hurricane country, and uh, I definitely, I don't know, as somebody who's, who has struggles with anxiety, like uh, there's not, you want to get anxious about something, it's knowing that a hurricane could arrive in three days and you're just like so is it gonna be here or not what's going on being like, <laughs> sorry being an innocent ohioan i did not know the full scope of the damage a hurricane could wreak until hurricane katrina mm. which i think was an eye-opening experience for a lot of people one and it's like wow a hurricane can do this also wow the government can fail us on this large of a scale <laughs> yeah. uh live in the superdome we'll figure it out don't kill each other oh here's here's some bread some bread some bread yeah no in in florida it was a lot of this kind of preparedness stuff though where i lived we were kind of in the uh uh, the armpit of Florida, like north northeast Florida. So what happened with every hurricane when I lived there was that it would seem to come towards us, but then something about our placement on the earth meant that it either curved away to the right or curved away to the left. It was a smell. It was yeah, a smell. yeah, I think it's maybe because you lived in the armpit uh, of Florida yeah. and the hurricane was like, nope, I'm not going <laughs> to I ain't touching Jacksonville. I'm going <laughs> to fuck up Tampa. Apologies to all, to all of our friends in Stenchburg. <laughs> Stenchburg, Florida. I did the same things Lisa did does here with my dad of saying there's a hurricane coming i think a hurricane is coming oh lisa there's no record of a hurricane ever hitting springfield yes but the records only go back to 1978 when the hall of records was mysteriously blown away what is it boy fire earthquake hippie (laughs) hurricane somehow the animals are always the first to know And the Weather Service has warned us to brace ourselves for the onslaught of Hurricane Barbara. 
And if you think naming a destructive storm after a woman is sexist, you obviously have never seen the gals grabbing for items at a clearance sale. Hmm, it's true, but he shouldn't say it. We better pick up some supplies. I've received the Frankiac version of Marge saying it's true, but he shouldn't say that to some of my jokes on Twitter. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Like the current hurricane now is Hurricane Chris. It's weird to have such an average like white guy name as a hurricane. Like it's it's Hurricane Steve. They're usually a little more creative with that. But I, I looked this up too. But NOAA is the hurricane naming group. Okay, and uh, you could see with the next five years of tropical storms i think a tropical depression when you become a tropical depression then you are named and they go through the entire alphabet from a to w so every time there's a new one if, if they ever get to w on it it's like well this is the apocalypse. the world is over hurricane yeah. xerxes is killing us all <laughs> and uh, and they also alternate feminine to masculine name and it, though also it goes like some years a is masculine sometimes a is feminine and then they just alternate from there so uh, it's it's very egalitarian with the with the naming conventions of hurricanes well i've definitely heard that the hurricanes that are named after women tend to be do <laughs> much more damage because people aren't <laughs> as prepared uh, for it's them. A, I see that they just like oh, Katrina pfft. Well, because they do, they assume that like it's a woman's name, therefore it's somehow more harmless or something. It'll be a gentle breeze, <laughs> and this starts with like Santa's little helper dying. Like it, that dog is gone. If your dog flies away, you're probably not seeing him. <laughs> it's again. the magic of animation, Henry. Yeah, it's true. I'm looking at recent hurricanes now, and there's like Hurricane Katrina. The ones I remember are women names, mm. like Hurricane Rita. I've never heard of Hurricane Mitch. He seems no, pretty friendly. You want to hang out with Mitch? Uh, they're, they're... Hurricane Irma was this year too. Oh yeah. Yeah, I only remember of the ones before Katrina. Big one was Hurricane Andrew. That, that yeah. was a male. 92. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, re- I remember hearing about that on the news. Yeah, it, it went through Florida just before my family moved there. We moved there in like late 92. Oh. And so already I was just worried like the whole time. Like that's a difference from when I moved out here. I originally, and by here I mean California. I originally had the fear of like, what if an earthquake happened? I'd never see it coming. But then for me at least it kind of went to the background and mm-hmm. I just never think about it but when it's hurricane season there was a hurricane two years ago that got close to my family and uh, that still lives in Florida and I was super stressing out before I'm just like go go but my dad especially like Homer is just like uh, we can just hunker down everything's gonna be fine I, I ain't I ain't getting out of here I ain't afraid of no roller, roller coaster, coaster. I knew you were going. I'm sorry. We, ha- we have to. No, you, we have to quote Mr. Show at least once yeah. per, per it's talking it's podcast sexism. law. It maybe slightly reinforces sexism, but I do like her. Just like it's true, but he shouldn't say. It. <laughs> it's just it's just such a like a pointless joke. Like yeah. it's such a needless. Like why would the news broadcaster be saying that? I thought yeah. we were going to get one of those technical difficulties uh, cards. I yes. forgot they didn't give him one of those. Well, yeah, that that is funny. In season five, Kent Brockman has just completely completely lost and it is like doing alex jones rants on the air about he, the book of revelation <laughs> he editorializes everything even weather yeah that's true then he head to the quickie mart to be gouged uh it's <laughs> another great set piece so like a lot of fun yeah. food names a lot of fun uh jokes about how people are preparing like i like kearney worriedly looking around while filling a like a container with squishy mm-hmm. that's great i like that the cat chow the the cat is crossed out yeah. and they're they're just carrying it like <laughs> like sudden because the cat is somehow crossed out then they're going to eat it now it's hurricane chow even though there's a cat right on there and and then when when edna krabappel picks it up she like hugs it with like (laughs) like a security blanket like oh okay i got my i got my hurricane chow i'm gonna make it yeah and i mean this is not 
too far fetched from like you know mm-hmm. whenever there's a hurricane, people post pictures of grocery stores and everything go- is gone except for you know things like the creamed eels or, yes, the, yes. or wadded, wadded beef. beef. I it's kind of a scary visual seeing Apu with his shotgun up there though. Actually, he did that too during. Oh, when was he shooting people from on top of the quickie bar? Thank you for coming. I'll see you in hell. It was very similar to a scene in Homer the Vigilante where Apu was on the rooftop with a sniper rifle <laughs> saying thank you for coming I'll see you in hell afraid of anyone I, stealing from him they're they're finally having fun with Kirk Van Houten he's like oh, let's just beat him up and take his stuff <laughs> it's like don't listen to that man <laughs> and he's just sort of like like rubbing his elbow like embarrassed well, I love what he says you all have a chance to be gouged that the people in the crowd are just like oh phew, thank goodness <laughs> like, I love how how easily the unruly mob is always swayed uh, in these yes. episodes well they're being let in 70 people at a time it'll be very orderly <laughs> uh, but yes here's them buying supplies there's so little left. Creamed eels? Corn log? Mm-hmm. Wadded beef? Mom, let's just grab what we can and get out of here. This storm is making people crazy. The last pineapple. And plenty ripe, too. <laughs> but I'm not fruit. I'm a kid. That's what the pumpkin said. Hi, Lisa. We're going to be in a pie. It's a great Ralph joke. He's very excited to be in a pie. A pumpkin pineapple pie? I, I don't know about he's, that. He's going to go to Bovine University and <laughs> he's going to be in a pie. He's, he's excited just... to die in, in fun ways, that in Ralph. food-related ways, yeah. I guess. And Lisa looks extra cute the way she's just sat there like, I'm not a food, I'm a kid. To be picked up by your head seems painful. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It does, yeah. And they haven't figured out yet that Agnes is their go-to old lady with that voice. So it's Mrs. Glick who's like the in Agnes until they figure out they want Agnes Skinner for all those scenes. Is she the same woman who says, hello, Joe? Is that... That's, oh, no. um, that's Grandma like, Flanders. Yeah, okay. yeah. This is one. This is a, this is an episode or two before uh, Agnes fully enters her real Hellion mode with mm-hmm. Grade School Confidential. Oh, okay. His excitement to be in a pie and Marge's Marge's questioning of what wadded beef is. Wadded like, beef. It reminds me of um, potted meat. Uh, yeah. That, which was a I forget which episode of Space Ghost it was, but on Space Ghost he had a new sponsor that was potted meat, <laughs> and it was such a strange specific thing to be advertising it I'll makes me think of canned bread have you ever heard of that oh, that's yeah. like a Boston yeah. thing I can't believe it's real like uh, how how expensive is bread you can't just buy a loaf <laughs> and I, I cream deals also reminds me of uh, when I was reading video game news and reviews in magazines and uh, Snake Eater came out Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater at at least one publication Konami sent them a canned snake meat and they were all like I am terrified to open this I am not opening was it really snake meat or was it spam with a snake eater sticker on it it? eh, maybe it it, well it wasn't it wasn't like a branded snake meat it was Mm. like from a real company that makes snake meat or packages (laughs) if you're eating meat why be picky i mean it's it's all meat the simpsons will be right back
Whether you're chewing on hurricane chow or some wadded beef, we hope you're enjoying this episode of Talking Simpsons. This was the last of our recordings in LA, and we had such a great time in Los Angeles, and we were only able to do that thanks to your support. The support at patreon.com slash talking simpsons gave me and Bob the financial ability to fly out to Los Angeles and stay there for a whole week and record with cool people like Liz Ryerson, Matt Burnett, Ian Jones, Cordy, Toby Jones, Allie Gertz, and Julia Prescott and we want to do more cool trips like that in the future and we're able to do that with more support at patreon.com slash talking simpsons so why don't you go and sign up there today but it doesn't just help us out you also get access to tons of exclusives there including our most recent interview where me and bob chat for a whole hour with mark kirkland if you don't know mark kirkland he has directed more simpsons episodes than anyone he is a longtime animation veteran who has a ton of stories to tell not just about directing 84 episodes of The Simpsons, but also working in Hanna-Barbera back in the 70s even. He has a ton of stuff to tell us about the early days and the current days of The Simpsons, and you can only hear the full interview at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. And the same goes for our other exclusives, like interviews with Dan McGrath, who wrote for the show for six years, and our exclusive podcasts like Talking Futurama, where we go through the entire first season of Futurama, or Talking Critic, where we went through the entire series the critic episode by episode in the talking simpsons style you can get access to all that at patreon.com slash talking simpsons If you guys are listening to this and our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, you probably really enjoy watching cartoons and other streaming media, don't you? Well, have you heard of Verve? That's V-R-V. It's a streaming platform that combines all of the coolest things into one place. Do you like anime that plays on channels like Crunchyroll and Funimation, like say Dragon Ball Z Super or JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, a true favorite of mine? Or do you like some of the creations of Cartoon Hangover like Bravest Warrior and Bee and Puppy? Cat. I fucking love being Puppy Cat. Or even their most recent edition of Nick Splat, which has so many of the classic Nick tunes and live action shows you remember from Nickelodeon as a kid. That's Doug, that's Ah Real Monsters, even it's all there. If you go to vrv.co slash WAC, that's like what a cartoon, vrv.co slash WAC, you can get a 30 day free trial of all of that, and it'll only be $9.99 a month after. After that 30-day free trial, check out Verve at vrv.co slash WAC and try all of that out for yourself. So then the National Guard is escorting out the old folks, which I guess to, to FEMA camps. <laughs> People like when they hear my Alex Jones voice. It's a good, a good one, one yeah. So, uh, I, I like uh, Abe's insistence that he's going to die. He was born in this nursing home. He's going to die in this <laughs> nursing home. And then he immediately caves. That is the most depressing fact ever. <laughs> and uh, Homer is fixing up the place. And I wonder, I'd like to know from any science folks if like, did it help that Homer took the two doors off of his house? Maybe it lets the air flow through. I like the joke that he's boarding up a window with 
the door, thus creating a bigger problem. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you don't want, I mean, you don't, you don't want debris flying through your house, so I feel like this is a, a huge issue. And I also wonder if Homer is turning down, hunkering in their bunker because of what happened to the shelterini that Ned had. Like, you should know by now, you know what? It's not so safe, even if it looks that way. I, I do enjoy how their idea of fun is auditing themselves <laughs> while the hurricane passes. Ugh. Well, this is one of my favorite lines when Ned asks Homer uh, if he wants to join and he's like oh I'm sure I'd be a third wheel and <laughs> and then Ned says no it's fine he's like I would make it my business to be a third wheel <laughs> and yeah. since this aired in December I think it, it makes sense that the nativity scene is still up yeah. because baby Jesus could do some damage yes though as a Floridian I will say hurricane season the latest hurricane shows up is October uh, so for airing it does make sense to have a nativity scene though if the implication is that Ned has his nativity up all year round and <laughs> never takes it down then that's also pretty funny so somebody mentioned online when I was looking up this episode somebody mentioned the continuity error of the fact that they're basement was on the outside of their house as mm, opposed to the inside that's right i guess they could have two entrances like a storm entrance but it's also they make the basement ceiling much lower so marge can actually look out the window mm. at eye level so the ceiling is like way lower than it normally is like if you go back to the chester lampwick episode it's like a 20 foot high basement ceiling you're right this is a this is and that's the the lampwick one is the same basement they'll be in in like the thomas edison episode so that's right yeah yeah is this their second basement is this they, like the extra basement I, I, they have? I think like anything else, if something needs to be there for a dramatic <laughs> reason, they're going to put it there. And yeah. like there needs to be a scene later where they're, you know, yeah. dramatically coming outside from, from the basement. For staging, they had to change it in some ways. <laughs> I definitely, I had one of those basements on the outside of my house when oh, I was nice. it, And I like, we never went there because I don't know, I was super creeped out by that basement. But That's it was where also, you lock up monsters when they're chasing you. Yeah, <laughs> and the, our basement was just filled with crap and oh, okay. like there was no it was not a fun place to to be in but like it's just the most inconvenient place to be yeah in florida we didn't really have basements because it's just a swampy ground underneath and they, unless somebody was really rich then they could afford to like basically build a cement box underneath their home and fill it in as a basement yeah they have more of a storm cellar in this episode yeah that's the proper term <laughs> though that's where the olmec head lives too so it's pretty roomy that basement maybe that's how they got it down there there's no other explanation yeah. Yeah, unless the, eventually they had to just take out the floor and lower it into it. That's <laughs> the only other way. I hope Mr. Burns paid for that. Uh, then we get the the hurricane, which I love when they don't do enough jokes with. This is the first time they've done a joke with the title since uh, the Thompson. Yeah. From Cape Fear all the way like four years, three, no, four years ago. Yeah, season five opening. I like that joke a little better because it's mm. like, you know, they they have a new identity and stuff. Yeah, Whereas yeah. This, this, it's just kind of like, I think because the story in this episode is fairly serious, like yeah. they wanted to get in a lot of goofy jokes, like in this little stretch of time mm -hmm. in this part of the episode. It, it's cute how the letters blow away. It's just a cute joke. Yeah. yeah. And seeing the normally happy clouds of Springfield turn into gray, ominous clouds. Yeah, that's true. And so wait, in that Mike Reese book, uh, we just read that. We interviewed mm -hmm. him for a Patreon. It was called Springfield, Springfield. Confidential. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he points out one of the jokes that nobody gets in the intro to The Simpsons is that when you first see The Simpsons, it covers up ONS. So the first thing you see is The Simps. <laughs> and that is supposed to be a joke in every episode that no one has ever noticed. As and I wonder if they... Simpleton. Yes. The as Simps, in, right. Yeah. But I wonder oh, if, they, wow. if that's replicated in this opening segment. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I, this also is where they fit in the only like hurricane damage jokes they can do too of the harmonica versus harpsichord store, which that's beautiful. I, got, I, I, I love that as a because harpsichords are like the most delicate instrument possible, like they aren't really e- easily amplifiable, they're <laughs> very old, very fragile instruments, they're oftentimes like very, very expensive, which is why it's like so funny to imagine that Springfield has a store for just harpsichords, only harpsichords. And right next to the harmonica store, too, which is so much more sturdy and and affordable. (laughs) Now, I I hope this has not come up on every L.A. podcast we're doing, but for the sake of this trip to make my life easier, to not bring DVDs with me, I, through iTunes, bought the episodes we're recording um, digitally. And I had no idea they were the edited for HDTV episodes. And it is sort of like when that elderly woman, like, wiped down that old fresco to make it look, (laughs) quote unquote, better. Uh, And when I was watching it uh, today, I ran out to the living room where Henry was in our Airbnb and I was like they ruined this joke look at it and so the joke is the wind blows through the harmonica store and it plays harmonica music and then it blows through the harpsichord store and harpsichords get blown out the window you can't see that joke in the cropped version I'm I'm still mad I'm still mad you can't see the harpsichords fly out the yes. window it's just you see a window break but don't see where they land to all of our fans listening if you're watching these on Simpsons World please watch the 4 by 3 episodes I'm sorry Liz I interrupted oh and that, that was a great it's a great sound effect too yeah like being smashed, just like <laughs> <laughs> for the sound designers on that so we need a bunch of broken harpsichords how do you make <laughs> figure that, that out figure it out jerks that's your, that's why we pay you one of the darkest jokes in simpsons has to be this electrocution gone wrong that then goes right again clever staging to make this joke fast and work because in an execution you're not going to be in one brick room with the witnesses you're they're gonna you're gonna be <laughs> you won't be able to see them they'll be able to see you in a different room like with like stadium seating mm-hmm. uh but I, I have to point out that the warden yeah. that is pulling the switch will later come back as a character in four episodes voiced by Charles Napier he's the voice of Duke Phillips so for some reason they pulled out that design to make into a character the next time you'll see him is in, in the episode Pokemon uh, played by Charles Napier wow that's that's that's. I also noticed that there were several season one and season two characters in the like witnesses section oh yeah there's a big season one character coming up in this episode mm, oh I think I know yeah. oh about. yes I know what you're talking about uh, just hearing yay as the guy is electrocuted like that is so <laughs> it takes it to such a place. That feels George Myers to me. <laughs> yes. Well, that's like when you guys were doing the episode on immigrants and, and the episode about Apu. Um, mm-hmm. It's a thing of The Simpsons is like everybody in the universe is inherently like swayed towards <laughs> like just horrible brutality and like just like the, the slightest you know, change of whatever. It's just like everyone, the, the way that the Simpsons views like humans and like the mass of humans is, is very much that, I think. The Simpsons yeah. don't need much, Spring, Springfieldians don't need much provocation to become violent or and, nasty. And every group of humans is a hive mind, so <laughs> they have all have the same emotion and opinion about everything that happens. Another thing I had forgot about this episode because the Ned story so dominates and I, I think I got this mixed up with the other time they're in the basement of the season in Burns Baby Burns, but I had forgotten that this episode had the rubik's cube Ooh, i love all of the words they make up in this Top scene wise. yes yeah here let's give it a listen why don't we do something to take our minds off the storm Ooh, a rubik's cube <laughs> let's all work it together okay start with diagonal colors use your main finger on the yellow side and your other finger on the orange side and turn it my main finger <laughs> orange, no, no, orange. you gotta yeah, start backwards one at a time. Spin the middle side topwise. Topwise. Now I remember why I put this down here in the first place. <laughs> oh, 
I, I love that because anytime that anyone tries to explain to me how to like do a Rubik's cube, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. th- that that's the reaction that I have. And I like puzzle stuff, but mm. like Rubik's cubes, I just, I don't know. They're I, made. They're made to not be finished. <laughs> yeah, I think in some video games, some recent video games that are kind of like that, which are only one person has a controller, but it's a party that's supposed to be telling you what to do. Yeah, uh, Snipper Clips for yeah. Switch is one of them, and uh, yeah, I was I thinking, yeah, but it, like I was, I was making the top wise jokes when I was playing that. Actually, at that Switch event we went to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah just like no, t- <laughs> because you do have to turn the middle part top top wise. No, top wise to, to do it correctly. That also the at the previous website I worked at too. There was an internal joke between us that uh, it was usually Brett Elston, our uh, friend of the show, that if he overheard two people in our group talking to each other, trying to give explanation of like, okay, so if you want to publish this, you need to go to this page and then go here and just have very complicated directions. And Brett would just walk by and be like, and turn the middle part top wise, spin the middle part top wise. <laughs> Main finger? <laughs> and just how Marge just gives up like, ah, this is why it, to, to know that that happened once before and that's why she hid <laughs> in the basement too. That's a very common experience with Rubik's Cubes. Mm-hmm. I think I think I had one as, and had very similar experience. There was always one sitting around somewhere when I was a kid because they were always abandoned. Mm-hmm. Like, no one wanted to actually solve it. My family had a Rubik's Cube, but it was special in that it wasn't colors, but it was stickers of fruit mm. on each different one that you had wow. to make each side match. How, how exotic. <laughs> I, I had a um, a few, like, little toys like that as a kid, and one of them was, like, you remember those sliding puzzles where you, oh. like, I had, like, yeah. one like, those. a frog. And with I, we with one tile missing? It. Is that yes. how it works? Yes. One tile missing. I hate when those are in video games because I know, like, some people are like ultra geniuses and they know like the algorithm or whatever you use to slide them all. I, I like, my brain can't even do yeah. one of those. Like, I, get one of those right. I think I did it once or twice as a kid, but it was random. Yeah, like, it was just like something to play with. Rubik's cubes and also Simon. Those are the most frustrating exercises you can do. Like Simon, you can only lose. It's a countdown to when you lose. I hate Simon yeah. because it's just like it's it's basically evaluating you and your memory, and you feel <laughs> like inherently inferior. Yeah. Like, if you only remember, like, seven, then you're like, oh, my God, my memory is horrible. It's a good tool to introduce children to anxiety, is what I'll say. Like, this is what anxiety is like. This also taught me about the Eye of the Hurricane, which is, I like that as a concept. Like, there are some, I remember the government would have these planes that would fly in the middle of the hurricane and just kind of stay there to witness all the stuff that was going on around it. And it's an an interesting visual. It's just what happens with it being spun around uh, clockwise. <laughs> and leaving an empty space in there. That's that's funny. I think I also learned what the eye of a hurricane was from this episode it's weird how many like basic facts that i learned from watching episodes of the simpsons like the coriolis effect Mm -hmm. the coriolis effect aurora borealis aurora borealis i I actually knew what aurora borealis was before (laughs) i'm pretty sure i did i I don't want to give myself that much credit though homer tries to go out during the uh, eye of the storm and he's pulled up and i gotta say march has amazing core strength to pull everyone back in from the hurricane it's funny how they're like they're like slightly spinning around bit yeah. as she's pulling them in but it's, it's very cartoony it's and, like it's it's kind of a deus ex machina like little <laughs> yeah it lets you focus on the simpsons for a little bit because this episode is so ned heavy that you need this opening to be like this is how the simpsons deal with a hurricane then it's gonna all shift to ned in act two so you at least need some family stuff together here and you think uh, upon first viewing this like ned is fine this is going to be a story about the simpsons mm-hmm. uh, if you didn't see the title in tv guide or whatever <laughs> but uh when you see ned's house it's all like tarped down and everything like he is so ready for this hurricane Mm -hmm. and yet 
Dear God, this is Marge Simpson. If you stop this hurricane and save our family, we will be forever grateful and recommend you to all our friends. Mm -hmm. So if you could find it in your infinite wisdom Wait. Listen, everybody. The hurricane's over. He fell for it. Way to go, Marge. (laughs) Remarkable. There doesn't seem to be any damage at all. It just goes to show you that everything will work out if you have faith. It's all gone. Everything. Gone diddly on. (laughs) Yes. I I think this is like, this is kind of the key of why I wanted to talk about this episode here. Oh, sure. I was actually reading an article and talking about like the Simpsons relationship with like Christianity and, and spirituality. And I think that line that Marge says about we'll recommend you to all our friends <laughs> kind of like, I, I think that's the, uh, the relationship that a lot of people in the, the U S sort of have with Christianity of like, there's this kind of like, you just kind of do it because it's, because it's there. Mm-hmm. But also like when she said everything will work out because you have faith. So this is kind of like where, where the story gets into kind of paralleling the story of Job, the biblical story, um, which, you know, Ned references later. But I think it's like it's very important to the show because and I think this is like shows what the difference between like season eight, season seven is between the rest of this, because this kind of thing might have been played as a one off joke. Someone like Ned was not necessarily taken seriously as a character. But here it's like it's like a straight up tragedy and there is really no explanation for why this stuff has happened to Ned. And mm-hmm. I think that's like the core of like the story of Job too is that there is no explanation why any of this stuff is happening. And and it gets into it later, but I think that like it's weird to see something so serious like happen on the Simpsons like that and I think that was one of the reasons why you know, when I was watching the episode, I mean, at this point of the episode, I still feel like, okay, like somehow this is all going to be resolved at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't thinking that much about it, but like, it just, it's kind of a weird, unexpected twist to suddenly, this is a Ned Flanders episode, and suddenly you like feel really bad for Ned because Ned didn't do anything wrong. Like, <laughs> he did yeah. everything right. Oh, it's sort of the inverse of what normally happens to Ned because throughout the series to this point, he's been, uh, he's experienced several miracles, like <laughs> getting the fire put out on his house by God. Uh, God uh, literally intervenes to save Todd from being washed down a river. And the strokes of luck he has, like when he shaves off his mustache. So in Bart the Lover, Ned shaves off his mustache and and while Homer is suffering, Ned gets cast in a commercial because of his new look. So, like, the joke is always, like, Ned is super nice to everybody and nothing but good things happen to Ned. So it's a real inverse of what... Except for the Leftorium episode. Yeah, and Henry is pointing out... Go ahead, Henry. We yeah. were talking about this earlier. We've said it a million times. Bill Oakley said it in an interview that Oakley Weinstein loved season three. They thought it was the perfect season of any TV series. And they wanted to emulate that on their seasons. And so you kind of end up with, like, sequel episodes or thematic sequel episodes. And yeah. In broad Broadcast season three, production season two. Thank you. <laughs> uh, when Sl- Flanders failed is the similar thing of him being tested. And it actually is funny because it that episode ends with what is the middle part of this episode, which is like, and then the town comes together and saves Ned, like at the end of yeah. uh, the classic Christmas movie. The uh, It's a Wonderful Life. It's oh, a Wonderful okay. Life, yes. Yeah. Like at the end of It's a Wonderful Life. And, well, uh, and yeah, I think this is why I like this episode so much is it, it's, it's a much deeper episode, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It goes much further, and it kind of examines the character in a much deeper way that kind of like almost breaks the Simpsons, but in a good way, mm-hmm. but in a way that's like hard 
was hard for them to go anywhere after this. Yeah, yeah. that happens a lot this season. <laughs> <laughs> and the scene of Marge praying in the in the face of a crisis is also very much like in Homer Defined, where she's praying uh, during the near meltdown. Like they'll give be- like it's all about bargaining. These prayers, like <laughs> we'll give better food to the canned food drive. You know, uh, just like here's what I'll do for you, God, if you don't kill me. <laughs> That's usually how the prayers work in the show. Yeah, it really falls to the. There's no atheists in foxholes type of idea of like you just uh, that they they only pray in crisis. While meanwhile, as Homer would say in Homer <laughs> the Heretic, he's a regular Charlie Church, and why doesn't he? Why why is this happening to him? And it makes it even crueler when the zoom out is just like the entire town is fine. Somehow this giant hurricane came, and that while it did blow away the Bolarama and smash up the harmonica store <laughs> in the prison, seemingly four buildings were affected. Right? Well, th- this does happen in store at least like tornadoes and yeah. some storms where like some houses are totally destroyed and some houses right next to it will be totally fine not as yeah. in as dramatic of a way like probably more people would have had their house yeah but it's it's exaggerating something that does happen and that kind of randomness if you if you are a believer can definitely test your faith or even even if you don't believe in a specific god but you believe in like fairness or justice or whatever you just go like but but why? Yeah, why? yeah. Because oftentimes this stuff is random. It's not just like that. The Simpsons were. I mean, the Simpsons being less prepared probably wouldn't have helped. No. But like sometimes this stuff is just random. Sometimes bad things just happen randomly. I, that's mm. part of the whole lesson of the story of Job too. Yeah. Though I have to. I I've ranted about this before, but I had a um, class in community college, which was literature classics uh, oh. like and and one of them and it, but it was run by a very religious older woman who then said like well the bible is the first real book and so we're, we studied like three different parts from genesis sorry the odyssey yeah uh, I know, gilgamesh no. go suck it she was she was like and she had excuses for both of those i forget which but uh and so when <laughs> that we, wasn't written by a white god yeah. so when we got to job at least the version of Job we read in the class had it that the God was like bluffed into it by the devil to make it like, come on, I bet the the devil is telling God, I bet this guy wouldn't believe in you if you treated him like shit, which I just didn't like that in that version of the story because it was... So God can be tricked by the devil. I, I think that is actually part of the story. I'm okay. not. I'm not positive about that. I think it's one of the things where I'm. I'm sort of taking the essential message of yes. it rather than like interpreting it uh, and in a literal way. Because mm. I, I like I grew up. I grew up in a fairly evangelical sort of area. The church I went to church all the time. The church I went to wasn't super evangelical. It was mm. more sort of liberal. But the the area around me was extremely Christian and like for me like I definitely I I was like I was not uh, I did not have a good childhood and and you know I wasn't a Christian after a certain point in my mm. life but at a certain point like I had a very strong moral compass and I believed that like you know you did if something bad happened to you it was because you had done something or whatever and that's the belief that like a lot of these you know a lot of churches had a lot of people had and it's interesting to me now going back to realize like Christianity is actually a little bit more complex than this yeah and there's more to this story. It actually is kind of like... It's something that uh, Slavo Žižek refers to as the kind of the atheism of Christianity. Um, <laughs> well, I can tell you, according to Spark Notes, which is my good book, it says, <laughs> quote, God boasts to Satan about Job's, Job's, Job's goodness... 
But Satan argues that Job is only good because God has blessed him abundantly. Satan challenges God that, if given permission to punish the man, Job will turn and curse God. God allows Satan to torment Job to test his bold claim, but he forbids Satan to take Job's life in the process. But he kills all of his family. Yeah. That's, which, Philanders gets off a little better there, at it least. Was, uh, Henry, that was the Airbud rule, we call that. There's no, nothing in the rule book that says I can't kill his family. Uh, but yes, Ned has lost everything. Oh, Nettie, it was terrifying. I thought I was headed for the eternal bliss of paradise. Huh. Oh, my gosh! Look at Red! I have a headache. Well, sir, everyone's alive. Guess that's something to be thankful for. Now, that kind of attitude's not going to get your house back. <laughs> I'm sure your insurance will cover the house. Uh, well, no. Nettie doesn't believe in insurance. He considers it a form of gambling. You know, it's kind of funny. The only thing that survived the storm were the family tombstones. Huh. They're all we have left. Well, call us if you need anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love that he's such a fucking goody two-shoes. He considers insurance gambling. Yeah, <laughs> and just in terms of how he overprepares for life in every instance, uh, he has the tombstones already made for their, for their eventual deaths. Uh, all of them, like... Maybe when he's an adult, Rod wants a different tombstone than the one his dad bought him. But th that's all that survived. Also, though, that uh, they should be using Todd's tombstone now because he went through a tree. Like, he's dead. I have a headache. I like how his normally poofy hair is flattened out a little bit when he's gone through Yeah, it. like, usually I'm not bothered by the cartoony stuff in, in the show. Mm -hmm. But, like, that is one example where this is in the middle of a serious scene. And, yeah. and like, Todd would definitely be dead. There's no... Uh, he would just explode upon impact to that tree. And I like how happy... So Maude protected herself under the bathtub, bathtub which is like... they. That's one thing uh, in a hurricane. They tell you like, well, your most secure one in your house is a bathroom because there's no usually no windows. And, and hurricanes so are germaphobic. <laughs> they don't want to go in there. So it, it made sense there. But then meanwhile, next to her is Rod, who is just happily reading upside down. He's like, hey, daddy. That's it's so cute. And and then Homer's such a fucking asshole. It's just like, well, if you need anything, we're out of here. Like this is this episode is kind of like has a lot of the traits in some ways of Homer's enemy. Like the mm. the where like Homer there's there's this character who's this like very good moral center where these things bad things are happening to and Homer is just this unrelenting fucking jerk <laughs> and and yet somehow like things work out okay for him. And like I feel like this is this doesn't go as deep into it as that episode does, but it does get into it. And I think that's a very like important part of The Simpsons. Mm. And it's an important part when you're talking about America because we have fucking President Donald Trump now yes. who is like the Homer Simpson character. It's clumsily stumbled his way into the most important role in the free world. Super <laughs> jerk. And it seems like your attempts to resist him actually make him more powerful or just that the world is behind, the reality is behind him. It's, it sucks. I have to say though, it's a really interesting choice that I like that uh, Ned, uh, Rod, and Todd are still unflappable. They're still mm -hmm. Flandersy, but Ned is the one who's wavering. They're, they, their faith hasn't wavered, but Ned's has. Mm -hmm. Well, that maybe that makes sense because he's kind of been the, the, the moral center. He's yeah. been the one who's protecting them and sheltering them and making them believe all this stuff. So they believe it, but he knows something else because he's had different experiences. Mm -hmm. You know? And yeah, you know what? I don't think we ever got to... I would have loved an episode about Maud's child 
childhood. Like, explain <laughs> what happened to her. Why is she the the most agreeable and nicest wife of all time? She's very like, judgmental, though. That's true. She went yeah. to Bible camp to learn to be more judgmental. <laughs> well, though, she also she does she leaves that up to a vengeful God to judge. That's people, right. <laughs> The thing that this also makes me think of is the show Moral Oral, which is mm. one of my favorite shows. Yeah. On- At a certain point, it stops being a comedy, which uh, no one is prepared for, really. Well, and that's like, that's what. Um- I, I love that show because that, that show has like an episode at the end of the second season where it's just the dark one of the darkest mm. like episodes and you, I loved that episode. Are you talking about the camping episode? Yes, okay, the camping yeah. Episode. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, I I don't know if I should recommend that, but I kind of want to. It's it's yeah. a great piece of of art, I would say. No, I I love it, and I also love that from that point on they kind of it fractures the show, and they have multiple episodes that like take place during that episode, and it just keeps repositioning things. And then, like, its final episode, like, for real made me cry. Like, it's, it, especially, like, I have father issues. And so you have. Yes, I, I definitely do, too. <laughs> so when you hear stuff about, like, um, uh, you know, your dad just sucks. Like, maybe just go go away. <laughs> uh, which is a great lesson to learn. Because usually, you know, TV shows try to try to make families feel like they can be. Mm-hmm. The gap can be bridged. Yeah, you can you can eventually come together with your dad. Like, no, probably no. not. And uh, mm-hmm. as as actually, no spoilers for this episode. But as Flanders would also learn too. I don't think it seems like he definitely did cut himself off from his family. That's after true. This. He never visited them or talks to them. I doubt Rod and Todd have ever met their grandparents. We got new clothes from the donation bin. I'm a surfer. Look, Daddy, Todd is stupid, and I'm with him. <laughs> And now mommy's stupid. <laughs> Looking good, Rod. <laughs> Looking good. <sighs> Nettie, I know this has been a terrible day. But by golly, first thing tomorrow, we're going to open up the leftorium. And before you know it, we'll be back on our feet. Down here at Springfield Mall, <laughs> a storm-addled crowd appears to have turned its rage on the leftorium. <laughs> Surprisingly, people are grabbing things with both hands, suggesting it's not just Southpaws and this rampaging mob. <laughs> Start looking in the back. Meantime, Springfield bowlers will be happy to hear that the Bowlerama is back in business at its new location, teetering over the Carter Dixon Tunnel. It's great that uh, the storm apparently did no real damage to the town, but they still decided to, des- to descend upon the Leftorium. But you're right about that uh, when Flanders failed, because it's a very ne- a very meta thing for Maud to remember, like, this happened before, yeah. and they'll all come again to help us, like they did, uh, what, four, five years five years ago? Yes, I'm, within the same year, based on every child's age. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm assuming that they just had stuff in that space, and that it wasn't opened or something, because that, mm. that, that is kind of fun. Like, why are people raiding it if they've never... <laughs> had this store open for yeah well it, everything should be closed in the mall because of the hurricane that day you know yeah I, I guess it's another thing that like they they need it to be a joke so yeah, it's there. yeah. well it's it's great to say that like there is the idea of like after a natural disaster there is some looting or yeah. perhaps people getting some fucking stuff to eat before they don't die and who cares but anyway this one the only looting that happens is apparently just at the leftorium and it's just so weird to be like that the crowd is storm addled to make them <laughs> storm loot only one store. I, uh, and I, I love that Kent Brockman just like tells a guy he's like, try looking in the back. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, I love, okay, so I love the butthole surfers joke, but just yes. like with Homer's Ayatollah Asahola shirts, yeah. they can't show the entire word butthole. Mm-hmm. So they leave the E off, leaving that to your imagination. But I have to say, 
as a former butthole surfers fan, this is the era of Electric Larry Land. Yes, they were never and more and Pepper. Yes, I have to say I like Cough Syrup as well. It's another great single, I think, from that album. Mm. But they were never more relevant than 1996. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got this joke as a kid, and I felt so happy for myself because <laughs> I had that album, Electric Larry Land, which, by the way, worst album cover of all time. Oh boy, it's hard to look at. Yeah, it's uh, well, you can find it online. But uh, I borrowed this album from a girl I liked, and I never gave it back. Oh. So she's probably still thinking about that right now. <laughs> but yeah, Butthole Surfers, I know that they were very popular at the time, but it, like hearing them mention on The Simpsons is sort of like hearing Tito Puente mention on yeah. The Simpsons. It's like <laughs> they are they were a very kind of weird, uh, almost avant-garde, like edgy yeah. sort of underground band for years and years until they had, you know, until Pepper came In out fact, we were it. talking about the YouTuber Todd in the Shadows, who yeah. does pop song reviews. He did a retrospective on the Butthole Surfers. Uh, find that on YouTube. He's really Ooh, great. Let me look this up. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy Rod and Todd's innocence at these shirts, too, that they've never had a graphic tee before. Yeah. So just the idea of like, I'm with stupid. A shirt can say this. Ha ha. <laughs> despite, despite the amount of I'm with stupid shirts I've seen on TV shows, I've only seen them in TV shows. So I think <laughs> I missed the real I'm with stupid era. It might have been the 70s. Well, no one wants to wear that shirt. <laughs> yeah. Because like, then your friend is stupid. I figured they've been around enough to be parodied, but maybe they'd only be at stores where you would laugh at the idea of someone wearing it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Leftorium, when they're, the sub and the stuff they're taking out, is what's seen in previous Leftorium appearances. Is including the uh, the Statue of Liberty with the left hand oh, up right. instead of the right. I like that one a lot. And though uh, I guess not spoilers, but in future episodes, the Leftorium will be okay. He does rebuild the Leftorium. It's 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 it recovers. And did Oakley and Weinstein? They were the ones who really brought back the Leftorium as a uh, a thing in the show. I think so. Yeah. there was barely any Leftorium in seasons five and six. David Merkin didn't even know about it. I don't even think they mentioned it. In <laughs> yeah, five or six. It was, that's not important to him. It's it was What's important is saying fuck you to the audience's yeah. expectations. There is a cutscene in season seven's Homer the Smithers in which Smithers works at, works at the Leftorium for about uh, five minutes. It's, oh, okay. It's yeah. so great. It's such a great scene. You never see Smithers and Flanders together also, which so it was a real, a real treat. That is uh, a weird combination. And uh, so then we get a quick little uh, moment of Lovejoy smelling a sandwich, which I believe on the commentary they say is Bill Oakley's thing, that he likes smelling sandwiches well, as he's picking them. He's a pro sandwich <laughs> reviewer online now. Yes. Uh, hamburger sandwiches, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it, it presupposed his Instagram notoriety he would have now as the guy who eats fast food and reviews it. He's reviewing mayo now, Henry. Oh, that's true. I think he'll be excited about that. <laughs> Henry's not a fan of mayonnaise. No, I, I'm, I'm not. not a fan of mayonnaise either, So, unless it's Japanese mayo. Mm. I like uh, chipotle mayo. If you put something in it, it's better. It's true. What? Chipotle mayo is better. Uh, the, in his most recent one at the time of this recording was that mayo one where he points out something that confused me so much when I moved to California. On the East Coast, it's Hellman's mayonnaise, mm. but here it is best food. Oh, yeah. And it's called, and it's even more confusing because they still keep the same jingle, which is. It works for both, though, right? Yeah, okay. Bring out the Hellman's and bring out the best. You're doing both at the same time. Well, but I like it better of bring than bring out the best foods and bring out the best. It's bring just, out the hell. Yeah, <laughs> I like I like Hellman. It's because it's like they're a Hellman. Hellman, and they're bringing yeah. out the worst food yeah. condiment. So <laughs> it's true. I am Hellman. <laughs> uh, but but Lovejoy has some tip. Well, actually, yeah, we're talking so much about how this is obviously Job. That also feels very meta on The Simpsons that Flanders will out loud say, "Is this?" 
this pretty similar to Job and then be told that it's not, even though it so clearly yeah. is. Reverend Lovejoy, with all that's uh, happened to us today, uh, you know, I, I kind of feel like Job. Well, aren't you being a tad melodramatic, uh, Ned? Uh, also, I believe Job was right-handed. But, Reverend, I need to know, is God punishing me? Ooh, <laughs> short answer, yes, with an if. Long answer, no, with a but. Uh, if you need additional solace, by the way, I've got a copy of something or other by our link letter in my office. So instead of recommending the Bible, uh, Reverend Lovejoy recommends an Art Linklater book. And if you don't know who that is, he was an old-time entertainer. He went from radio to TV. And in fact, that Krusty saying, I heartily recommend this event or product <laughs> is something that Art Linklater would have on like the Game of Life or whatever, ah. or like a board game. But he wrote a lot of, after his career in TV and radio, he wrote a lot of like um, inspirational but humorous books, such as Old Age is Not for Sissies, and Yes, You Can. So in his in his non- entertainment years he was an author writing kind of treacly it sounds uh, like cute Peggy books. Hill. yeah <laughs> didn't, didn't he release those kids say the darndest things yes books? he was the, he was the host of that program oh, okay. and i think a, like they he's just the trans- only host. yeah let's forget that other oh host. you're yeah. right uh, <laughs> but they just basically transcribed funny things the kids uh, said on that show <laughs> which is now react you know yeah kids react to teens react to uh people react to things that mario 64 <laughs> uh, where do they find these old people in the middle of nowhere like how do they trick them into this i did enjoy i, I never watched the videos but i always see the the gifs or the the stills but I, I do like the old people naming the pokemon oh yeah that was a cute one the first one i liked was handing kids like a game boy or an nes and mm-hmm. saying like so what do you do with this how do you turn it on and they have no clue. <laughs> I, from my experience, though, kids like freaking love retro video games. Like, yeah. kids love Atari. A lot of kids love Atari for some wow. reason. I think, I think it's, it's just because it's older than them. I think also they're they're trained on Minecraft and yeah. they just associate those uh, blocks with uh, the 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 blocks of pixel graphics. That's what I've heard from people that actually you know give kids sense. old things <laughs> and. Another of my favorite, like, needlessly complex, like, writerly lines is, short answer, yes, with an if, long answer, no, with a but. So when I was a kid, I really thought he was saying something there, and I was trying to figure out, like, (laughs) what he was trying to convey there. And I realize now, like, the whole point is that he doesn't care, and he's just saying something random. like, I could, yeah, look, I could give you an answer if you want to hear either, but, yeah, look, I don't care. I do like how they leave it as, like, his breath yeah, in. Yeah. He's, but I would guess it's like, yes, you did deserve this if you did X, Y, and Z. Long answer is no, you didn't deserve this, but maybe yeah. God is doing this to test you. You or won't something. like either answer, so I won't give you it. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, it doesn't matter what he says because it's, one, it's not true because, you know, things, sometimes things just happen randomly. That's mm-hmm. the whole, like, lesson of Job. But two, he doesn't even give a shit anyway. So Yeah, yeah. he's like, I've got something or other that'll make you feel better in my office. <laughs> I'm mad you're even here. I yeah. don't want to be around you, Dad. I don't like you. <laughs> we'll yeah. see more of that later this season. <laughs> uh, so Ned turns to the only place he has left, the Bible. Why me, Lord? Where have I gone wrong? I've always been nice to people. I don't drink or dance or swear. I've even kept kosher just to be on the safe side. I've done everything the Bible says, even the stuff that contradicts the other stuff. What more could I do? I, you know, I, I feel like I'm coming apart here. I want to yell out, but I, I just can't dang diggly do dang do damn diddly darn do it. I, I, I... 
Harry Shearer, you know, he he gets a lot of guff for being a grumpy grumpy Gus, but he is so good as Ned in this episode. Like, especially here, you could hear just his exasperation and just hopelessness in his voice. Like, <sighs> it's a it's a different side of Ned that doesn't come out often, but he he delivers mm-hmm. it so well. It it actually made me I. I remember being sad, a little bit sad watching this. I mean, at the time, I thought that it would be resolved differently, but like, you know, the first time I watched it, but like, it's not something that you, ex- it's not somewhere you expect to go with that character who yeah. has mostly just been a joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think at this point, so the, there is a term in the Simpsons community called flanderizing in which you exaggerate a character's characteristics until they're unrecognizable from what they, when, where they started. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Ned is still the nice guy that is like unflappable, will He'll be a doormat in any circumstance, but he still has a great life uh, and a nice family. Mm. In the future, he'll just be like a religious prick. He'll be yes. he'll be the the vehicle for all of their fundamentalist jokes and all of their like censorship jokes and things like that. And but also stupid, sexy Flanders. As that well. too, that yes. too. But at this point, he is still the the nice, the unflappable nice guy. Mm-hmm. They and don't really make him into a fundamentalist in most of the earlier. Not really. I mean, he does block out like cable channels. He doesn't like yeah. secular things, but he is not a vehicle for those kind of jokes. It's normally like they put that on like Lovejoy's wife and in Maud Flanders usually. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, later Homer. Once Homer gets that crayon out of his brain, he scientifically disproves God, and Ned wants to destroy all of that information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, also, when I saw that paper cut on his finger still makes it, me just shudder. I, like, I rub my fingers. It's a very well-observed, drawn paper cut. <laughs> I, I almost cut oh. my finger off or, uh, She's all bandaged so. up over here. Yeah, it's actually mostly healed now, but yeah, not, not fun times. Uh, and and also the way he just clo- slams the Bible closed and you get a light, nice tease of what Ned's problem is that he says like, I want to shout out, but I just can't ding, dang, diddly, damn, darn do it. Yeah, you're right. He He's, yeah. He is expressing what his actual problem that's is. Chekhov's diddly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that's an old joke. <laughs> uh, so then we we then get what seems to be the end of Flanders Failed, which when I first saw that this episode is as a 14 year old, I thought this is a we. Why is this moment happening now? There's there's half the episode left this what's is, going on this is the this is why i love this episode yeah. so much <laughs> this independently is a just even without the episode surrounding it it's a great comedy sketch i just love yeah. so the best my favorite <laughs> thing about sketch comedy what makes it great for me what makes great sketches great is escalation and the escalation in this scene is perfect because things start going wrong on a grander and grander scale as he goes further into the house <laughs> it's so great yeah. oh but before they go there when Marge says something incredible has happened, and Ned said, "Did the rubble catch on fire?" Yeah, and that shows you where Ned is at. That might be the first sarcastic thing he has ever said in series history <laughs> at this point. Uh, but yes, they he gets quite a nice surprise. Oh, they rebuilt our house. Oh, it's a miracle. I started making some calls last night, and before I knew it, practically all of Springfield was offering to help. Hope you like it, neighbor. We didn't have the best tools or all the know-how, but we did have a wheelbarrow full of love. And a cement mixer full of hope and some cement. <laughs> it's wonderful. I, I, I don't know how I can possibly repay you. But if any of you ever need a favor, just look for the happiest man in Springfield. No, no, not me, friends. He's talking about himself. But thanks for looking. 
I'm really sad he didn't become the next Disco Stew. <laughs> I love I, I keep forgetting that that joke is in this episode because I, I loved that joke as a kid. I went to the wiki. He's never come back. I bet in season oh. 34 there will be an episode about him and his yeah, origins. The happiest man in Springfield. If they had given him a name, if they had called him like Jolly the Happiest Man yeah. in Springfield, he would have had a Disco Stew like series. There's got to be a B plot with like him and Hugh Jazz and a few <laughs> other of the one note Simpsons characters. And uh, he's so happy he even thanks people for looking. looking yeah. Thanks for looking. <laughs> and he, it's a great crowd scene, including them pulling out a real bunch of old characters just to fill in all of Springfield with recognizable people. We In our Everything's Coming Up Simpsons as well for Great School Confidential, we talk about how the, they are, uh, Oakley and Weinstein are really getting used to like the Springfield as a collective of, of recognizable faces and what that means for it. And I, until hearing it is just an audio form, like fantastic experience. That was such just a weird line. Julie Kavner doing a non-Marge voice, yeah. which never happened. Just doing walla walla crowd work, uh, but yeah. That, then they go inside, and uh, the the problems start yes. start with him snagging his uh, sweater on a nail. Oh no! The first the first the first he problem yeah. is the door is stuck a little bit, and it is the perfect like what's going to happen next. Yeah. Like I just I for this for this watch so I'm like every. Some some of the issues are just like well I could live with that but then eventually it becomes like unlivable. <laughs> yes, when he sees that toilet, that toilet is like is that toilet supposed to be there. I, I was like so um, I think I think that was like my level of humor as a kid, but I was so amused by the idea that someone would have their toilet <laughs> next to their refrigerator in the kitchen. Yeah, it? I mean it's it's the it's the ultimate convenience. Yeah, saves a lot of time, but uh, and have this. Play stayed up. I guess they just expected, like, oh, I mean, yeah, Ned's just gonna have to use the bathroom in front of his wife making dinner. Like, he's just gonna have to deal. I don't know how much. How much of the clip do you have? Uh, we kind of go straight to the okay, but it falls apart. But the because uh, like the way things escalate, so it's like the door is stuck. Okay, it's a little problem. The living and dining room is one room, perfect for entertaining. Okay, mm. that's not ideal, but he could live with that. Ned snags his na- uh, sweater on a nail. Okay, that's fixable. The toilet is in the kitchen. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> and then and the, then the load bearing poster. Load bearing poster. <laughs> Which yes. I again, when I was a kid, I didn't know what a load bearing. You taught thing. me too. Yeah. yeah, and I thought that there was such a thing as a load bearing poster, and then I was like afraid to like take posters <laughs> off, which is like really silly. But uh, that's like one of the most ridiculous jokes because like how how can a place be built? So that so that like a tiny poster <laughs> just holds up everything, holds it all together, <laughs> and also the only room with electricity that has too much electricity. Mm-hmm. The the way you might want to wear a hat. I, the way Ned with his frizzed out hair is disdainfully looking backwards at Apu is such a hilarious <laughs> drawing. I think that that joke was cut for syndication when oh, I watched yeah. that. But it's 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 a really good joke. And how he calls it like the room with electricity, meaning there is no electricity. Electricity in any other room. This is the room with it. And the great optical illusion. You think it's a hallway, but he gets. I mean, he's like literally shoving himself into like a corner yes. as he opens a <laughs> tiny door. Well, and then the, they 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 pa- he said they painted the dirt. He's yeah. like the floor gets a little gritty here, Pretty and he's clever. like, oh, "Well, we painted the dirt. Pretty clever." <laughs> well, yeah, and the, and then he's like walks down. He's like, "There's something definitely wrong with this." And then like the doors. There's this door that is like at at an odd <laughs> angle, and like like no one would be able to build a door. Like one of my favorite things as somebody who does video game design is impossible architecture, and I think like without even realizing it i think this episode like kind of like because it just 
I was so amused by the idea of like, how could this house even exist? Like, yeah. what what would this even look like? And like, obviously, how could Barney be in that room? Yeah. but it's I mean, it's a it's a it's an animated show. He must have built show. it around himself yeah. and just is like. Like, but <laughs> the other thing that it reminded me of, which is kind of just random, uh, like I was playing, I had played this game, Thief the Dark Project. Oh, yeah. And there's this mission in the game, which is probably one of the best video game levels that I've played. It's called The Sword, but it's in this like mansion where the first floor, it's kind of normal, it, you know, and then the second floor starts to get really weird. And then the third floor, the kind of like reality breaks and stuff like that. And it almost kind of reminds me of that. And that, in fact, there is like, there's a room with electricity in that mansion, and then there's also like <laughs> a perspective trick that's exactly like the Barney door oh, where you walk great. up, and it's like it's just this tiny thing in front of that you. That feels that feels intentional, but yes, I think I have a just a little bit of the last at the end of the house. Okay, floor feels a little gritty mm-hmm. here. Yeah, we ran out of floorboards there, so we painted the dirt. Pretty clever. Oh, something is definitely wrong with this hallway. Come on in! It's your master bedroom! Ow, my nose! Well, I've seen about enough. So, Flanders, what do you think of the house that love built? Oh, shoot. The way it falls apart, too. Yeah. Ned should hate them because, like, had had it just not fallen apart an hour later... It would have killed all of them. Yeah, it would have crushed his family. It was a death trap. He built a death trap for him. I, I just love, it says everything about the Simpsons, that they think that they've done this like great <laughs> thing for Ned. They're like, this is the house that love built, and it just shows how much they fucking suck. It's just <laughs> human. Like, they think that they've done such this great thing, and like they totally just like almost made it worse, like just completely insulted him with this entire thing, but like... He feels like he can't even say anything because it's like, oh, these people are doing this nice stuff for (laughs) me. But it's like it's like when somebody who normally does shitty things tries to do something nice (laughs) and it actually just makes it like 10 (laughs) times worse because they're being condescending about it. But I I love the fact that he like right after he says the house that love built like is when it's like (laughs) there's like no love in the fucking world of Springfield and the scene coming up where he uh, freaks out I have to say I'm a huge fan of Ren and Stimpy not the creator by the way but I love scenes where a character has a long rant where they basically just have a nervous breakdown and this is fantastic and I think this is sort of like shades of the Frank Grimes scene we'll see later in the episode Mm -hmm. but I I do love how everybody gets a unique dressing down by Ned yes Yes. and I, I will say before you play it Mm-hmm. Um, like this was very shocking to me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was gasping just like all the other characters. Like even as they're building up, it's like, well, no, Ned never breaks. Like he never breaks. Like that's not what happens. And yeah. Yes. I, and the one thing that's in, so he gets out of the house as a glasses where this it, one really got me. <laughs> it collapses. He's just like. <sighs> And he takes off his glasses, wipes them off, and the, the one of the frames falls out and shatters, and that's what does it. But Bill mm-hmm. Oakley and Josh Weinstein, I believe, on the commentary, they said that they wanted to capture what it's like when someone actually freaks out like this. And what the emotion is like concern and awkwardness and just people are don't know what to do or where to go. And I think if you look at the crowd, 
in this scene. It's so perfect. And when he approaches Homer, everyone gets out of the way. They're like, he's going to kill Homer Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> As he rightfully should yeah. at this point. Homer did quite a lot of horrible things to Flanders this time, including he, uh, he did intend to bash his head in with a pipe. Give us <laughs> noggin a flogging. Noggin a flogging. But uh, yeah, actually, what is this line of the episode, this full rant? Oh, here? yeah. All, all 90 seconds or two minutes or whatever. That's the joke. Calm down, Italy, diddly, 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 diddly. They did their best, shoddily, Italy, Italy, diddly. Gotta be nice, hostility, diddly, diddly, Oh, hell, diddly, ding, dog, crap. Can't you morons do anything right? Mad, we meant well, and everyone here tried their best. Well, my family and I can't live in good intentions, Marge. Oh, your family is out of control, but we can't blame you because you have good <laughs> intentions. Hey, back off, man. Oh, okay, dude. I wouldn't want you to have a cow, man. Here's a catchphrase you better learn for your adult years. Hey, buddy, got a quarter? <laughs> <gasps> I am shocked and appalled. Mr. Flanders, with all due respect, Bart didn't do anything. (gasps) Do I hear the sound of butting in? It's got to be little Lisa Simpson. Springfield's answer to a question no one asked. (laughs) What do we have here? The long, flabby arm of the law? The last case you got to the bottom of was a case of Malamars. Malamars. Oh, that's going in the act. Oh, yeah, the clown. The only one of you buffoons who doesn't make me laugh. And as for you, I don't know you, but I'm sure you're a jerk. Hey, I've only been here a few minutes. What's going on? <laughs> Poor Lenny. You ugly, hate-filled man. Hey, hey, I may be ugly and hate-filled, but I've, um... What was the third thing you said? Homer, you are the worst human being I have ever met. Hey, I got up pretty easy. There, there are some uh, crazy people on the streets in Berkeley, uh, mm. ranting and raving and whatnot, and I feel bad for them and their mental health issues. But there was a guy just like screaming at everyone who walked by, just the worst possible things. And I couldn't cross the street. And I was just like, okay, turn off my headphones, turn up my headphones, and walk by him. And I'm not going to hear what he says. So I walk by him, and what he says to me is, "What is wrong with you?" <laughs> and my my reaction was what Homer says, like, "Wow, I got up pretty easy." <laughs> so I, no slurs at all. Yeah. Speaking of Berkeley, there's that mcdonald's that's kind of near oh um, yeah which i call the mcdonald's of misery it's oh, yeah. uh it's everyone is having their worst day inside of that <laughs> mcdonald's and like i walked by it one time and a guy literally knocked on the window he was sitting in the window he knocked on the window and made sure that i got he got my attention and then just gave me the finger jesus for like nice, no reason wow. <laughs> i only i avoid that mcdonald's at all costs i've only went i've never eaten from it in the decade plus i've lived there but i had one time someone come to town and she i I actually, I would call myself a picky eater, but I've gotten better. But she was a very picky eater who didn't want to eat anywhere but McDonald's or the only fast food place in Berkeley. That was my first time in there. And that's when I saw the signs that were like, buying food means you get to stay here 30 minutes and then you have to leave. And it was just, and it was just such a scary insight. I was like, holy it's shit. It's the most miserable <laughs> McDonald's I've ever seen. Don't visit our McDonald's in Berkeley. <laughs> Don't visit the post office either. Uh, that place sucks Sometimes too. you got to, unfortunately. But <laughs> There's that, a better post office by me. But they don't have the machine at that one. Uh, fuck the, what, so the first thing that he says, which I think is like one of the, the keys of this episode and kind of where it has similar territory to the Frank Grimes 
is he says my family my family can't live in good intentions mm-hmm. right like your family is out of control but you have good intention and that really yeah. is the, like the message of the simpsons like all this shit happens to them somehow but somehow at the end of the day they still have this like weirdly comfort comfortable middle class life mm-hmm. where they can do all this like horrible stuff and somehow waste all this money lose all this stuff and they're like yeah we're still fine we're always the same and like you see, like, you know, it's it's treated as a joke, but, like, someone like Ned is living in that universe and probably has all this anger about this, just building up and building up and building up for years. Yeah, yeah it's slightly, again, Grimes-like, where Frank Grimes is freaking out about how such a mediocre man could just succeed mm-hmm. so much and have a nice house and everything like that. And that is kind of, like, one of the, the, the big themes of The Simpsons that comes out, like, in this episode and in the Grimes episode, too, which is also kind of, it was very strange at the time. Like, now we're living in an age where like like shows deal more on the surface with these kinds of issues like um you know we've had prestige tv and all that but at the time like a show like the simpsons like really getting in deep on its characters like that i think that was pretty shocking and pretty weird but that's why this episode had like had such an impact on me and then the other comment that he makes to bart saying like you know basically saying that bart's going to be homeless when he grows up (laughs) like i read a something on the internet that said that that was kind of like a classist and mean comment which it is but yeah. like that is the person that ned is like ned is like yeah. a suck up to authority well, and he sees that bart is a rule breaker as he's like well then you have no future you break the rules you don't respect we them. should point out that in a previous episode being a drifter was one of his fantasies yeah it's like it was uh it was what he thought he was going to end up as and he thinks that's pretty cool being a drifter the uh bart it, also s- sells that like he makes that line funny because it, his mm, uh, because yeah. of his reaction being like i am shocked and appalled yes, yeah like yeah. thinking like bars acting as if he's a moral creature yes <laughs> and also that uh, harry shearer gets shit for as as algene put it when he was about to quit Harry Shearer literally phones in his roles these days. Like, he doesn't live in L.A. He just calls in from usually London or New Orleans. And But you can hear, in this scene, you can hear the echo in the recording studio. I love that, therapy. yeah. I love when you can hear the space they're in when they're, when they're this loud. Yeah, and, and just his, like, I do their best, Shadily Italy, Italy, Italy. Like he's it. It kind of reminds me of the subliminal messages of Kevin Nealon. Uh, mm-hmm. How he's letting out the little words that he's actually feeling in his diddlies. It's fun that for some for whatever reason, Wiggum gets a kick out of him making fun of Lisa. Yeah, what the hell? Because Lisa <laughs> broke Ralph's heart. That's why. <laughs> and, you know, he's carrying that wound with him, and also the, the way Krusty just in a very comedian way saying like, "That's going in the act." <laughs> like, Instead of I'm going to steal this, he says that's going in the act. He's famous for stealing comedy, Krusty the Clown. I, I love the line, "I don't know you, but I'm sure you're a, a jerk. jerk." Yeah, <laughs> poor Lenny. Yeah, I poor just got here. When he says the good intentions line, there is a man with a cigarette in his mouth and a blonde with a ponytail. That's Bob Anderson, the director. He uh, drew himself into the crowd. That that's why that was distracting me. Yeah, yeah distracting. I, I noticed that too when I was watching the episode. <laughs> if it's a distracting specific looking person who's never been in the show before you can bet it's an animator but the animation in this is so expressive and so memorable while you're playing the clip i could see it in my head including like the 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 things mo was doing with his hands Mm -hmm. and like just it's it's a great scene and then they they really delivered on this voice track by making it as expressive i may be ugly and hate
Whitefield. Yeah. What was that third thing? Is another like Hall of Fame line. <laughs> I it's it shows you what it's like to have like you think you've got a good comeback. Like well, I may be um uh, uh, what was that third thing <laughs> you said? And then when everybody sort of parts, yeah, the yeah. parts when <laughs> you can when, hear them. Yeah, just his and his march towards Homer. That's so crazy. Homer has like a very awkward smile on his face as uh, Ned is marching up to him. Well, and you never see Ned get mad at Homer in mm-hmm. in in like all of Homer trying to being abusive to him, like taking advantage of him, stealing his stuff, trying to murder him. There was a mm-hmm. much smaller version of this in Homer Loves Flanders. Okay. Like he's very very annoying. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it's, but this is like that times ten. Mm-hmm. It's he, all the stuff that is built up of like the yeah. universe of the Simpsons. All this <laughs> fucked up things that Homer has done. He just like <laughs> he just in that moment is like, and everybody knows it too. Like everyone knows. Yeah, like, it's not like he's he's not saying anything that is untrue, and he's like, I'm not even going to be funny or clever or sarcastic. I'm just mm. going to be acidic, yes, and objective. And it's a true statement. Like you know what? For Ned, Homer has to be the worst person he has ever. Yeah, been. like and so uh, then Ned marches off to his geo, which did survive the hurricane. That's apparently. right. He, I love that they still draw on his geo, though. That geo got smashed at last season in uh, the immigrant store. Maybe he does have car insurance. <laughs> he must, uh, or he just has enough money to buy another geo. I don't know. And then he uh, he just runs off with even his family, going like Nettie, Nettie, <laughs> and then he turns on Aloha Oi, which got to say I searched hard for. I think this is just an Andy Williams sound alike because I looked up the Andy Williams version of this, which sounds the closest to it, but it's not this exact master yeah. from the 59 Andy Williams. They probably pulled in a Kip Lennon or somebody similar mm-hmm. to that to do a, yeah, a sound alike. And Aloha Oi, if you don't know, is uh, the beautiful song about Hawaii and uh, the end of their culture <laughs> as oh. they were destroyed by America. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful so gentle. song. <laughs> song mainly by white guys who made it famous in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Ned's drive to Comwood and smashing through the gate as he's humming happily is pretty satisfying. It's like, huh, It's nice. a good act break. Uh, and so we come back and Ned is ready to commit himself. I just attacked all my friends and neighbors just for trying to help me. I'd like to commit myself. Very well. Shall I show you to your room, or would you prefer to be dragged off kicking and screaming? Ooh, (laughs) kicking and screaming, please. As you wish. No! I, I like that it's he's voluntarily committing himself, but it, uh, his attitude's like, when am I going to ever have the chance again to be dragged away <laughs> kicking and screaming? I'm going to take advantage of this chance. He did the screaming, but they didn't animate kicking. His yeah. legs are pretty straight. That's a great scream from Harry Shearer. Mm-hmm. And it's for so long, too. Also, it, it kind of makes sense because he's just had this like total like eruption but like it's Ned, so of course he's like trying to be controlled about it. Mm-hmm. So he's like in this incredibly like just emotionally devastated place. But he like he has to be polite about it. <laughs> <laughs> As he's been committed, we get to he's he's recognized. I'd better call Doctor Foster. Is Doctor Foster here? <laughs> Ned Flanders, you're sure? No, no, no. I'll I'll come right over. And may God have mercy on us all. Darling, there's an emergency at the hospital. Uh, where are my shoes? Oh, I think they're in the den. In the den? <laughs> may God have mercy on us all. 
So this mm. is when the episode becomes inexplicably uh, a sort of parody of the movie Halloween, yes. the famous slasher movie, in that Dr. Foster is based on Dr. Loomis, uh, played by Donald Pleasance in that movie. The star of Puma Man? Yes, the, the very same. He was in The Great Escape, too. Who cares about that? But mm. I have to say that, uh, so in that movie, if you don't remember, uh, Dr. Loomis is who they get uh, on the phone, get on the horn when uh, Michael Myers escapes from the mental institution to kill again. And it's sort of a Donald Pleasance. Pleasant's imitation of sorts. We have a clip of Donald Pleasant's in Halloween talking about Michael Myers. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. <laughs> I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply... Evil. What do we do? He's been here once tonight. I think he'll come back. So yeah, so much like Dr. Loomis, Dr. Foster was dealing with an evil child. Uh, that's Ned Flanders. So he, he stayed with him for years, trying to make him less evil. And in the case of Dr. Uh, Foster, it worked. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He, 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 sort of. In a way, in a way. Uh, it, it worked. Uh, the solution was not great, but I also have to say, Dr. Foster is named after the nursery rhyme, and it's very short, so I'll say it now. So, Dr. Foster went to Gloucester in a shower of rain. He stepped in a puddle right up to his middle and never went there again. Oh. And that is the very clever origin yeah. of the of the doctor's name, Dr. Foster. I did. I know I had forgotten that. Uh, I was never taught that nursery rhyme. It must have been in one of my children's books, but uh, you can't expect a child to see the town name Gloucester and expect them to pronounce it. it it's spelled yeah. Gloucester. Yeah, <laughs> I never know how to spell. I, I I like that uh, this episode definitely does not spare making fun of mental health facilities and professionals yeah. and their abilities because it's like pretty obvious that Doctor Foster, like at first, comes off as like a professional. But it's pretty obvious that the uh, methods that he practiced <laughs> were not good. Well, and the this institution is. It seems like most of the references for institutions still in this were one flew over the yeah. Cookies, it's so. not. It's not very modern. Like I like yeah. padded rooms are not a very common thing. I, I don't have like experience with like you know modern mental institutions, but I know that there, it's not you know mental health facilities but it's not quite like this it's I, a little exaggerated so. their go-to jokes are for this at this time were always the old-timey pers- uh, view of these institutions like straight jackets and guys in napoleon hats and padded rooms and things like that it's not the most progressive look at mental health facilities but i feel like it's a step beyond what we saw in the direct cuckoo's nest parody in um stark raving dad yes yeah i feel like this went too far or they went overboard with it intentionally in uh, the Futurama episode where Fry gets committed to the robot asylum. Yeah. Where Bender's like, well, if I'm here, I may as well put on this Napoleon hat. (laughs) Gotta do all the parodies here. (laughs) So Dr. Foster goes to the asylum at Comwell. Uh, That doesn't rhyme. (laughs) Dr. Foster? Hmm. Well, at least your memory is not crazy. (laughs) Now, Ned, you may remember we spent some time together 30 years ago. Do you recall what you were like back then? Oh, sure. I was a good little boy. Were you? Stop it at once. Stop it. 
In case you missed the joke, <gasps> it's that young Ned Flanders almost says dick face. That's right. I never got that joke as a kid. And then when I rewatched it, I realized that joke and I felt so proud of myself. Because oh. like, you hear I him get say this joke dick, now. Yeah. It's it's a complicated joke though. Yes, that he's that he's run out of Dick Tracy characters to reference, so he has to remix them. Of like, nah, prune Tracy, and that he's that it it does remind me of like bullying kids who are that when they're that young that they're like. They have to say they're being like, well, I'm Bugs Bunny punching you or whatever. My, I was bu- <laughs> like one of my friends was kind of a bully and he would always do like wrestlers like oh. you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, my or, God. Yeah. Did you get did you get the stunner applied to you? And he liked to uh, he liked to say suck it. Oh, very classic. Lot. Yeah. That's very, very classy. Very classic classy. Steve. Uh, <laughs> I like how Dr. Foster is just uh, passively writing notes as Ned is attacking children, but only intervenes when that one kid is almost murdered. Yeah. He's he's about to watch a murder of a child as he calls him Dick Face. I I also find it like it's it kind of meshes with my experience with mental health professionals where he's like eh, at least your memory is not crazy. It's like mm-hmm. it's a very uh, condescending line. That's but, a, that's such a great line. At least your memory isn't crazy. <laughs> but it's like I I feel like anybody who's had experience with um, not just mental health but also like doctors physicians oftentimes they will be super uh, condescending mm-hmm. in ways like that where it's like what what am I even getting treatment for if, if you're just gonna like fucking insult me or yeah. like say something super condescending. Or just say like, no, the easiest thing is to do nothing. So, you know, it's probably nothing. You know, like, is it always nothing? Am I? Oh, and another compliment I'd like to make is to Alf Clausen because right before he turns on the movie, the way it plays a little bit of Aloha Oi underneath it is I didn't really notice cool. that. Actually, um, here, let me replay it real quick here. Were you? Oh, Wow. It's yeah. like a minor key of Aloha oh, Oi. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I never that's, pay attention to those musical cues. That's very subtle. I like it. Yeah, it was really. It, this was one of the first times I caught it when editing the the sounds together. Okay, so now time for me to complain about continuity. But if Ned Flanders, as said in the season ten episode of Even Ned Vegas, is a sixty year old man, that does not work because he was a child thirty years ago when Doctor Foster. Helped him. That he, is not this episode's fault. You no, know, yes, I know. That is, that, I'm mad at the future episode, yes. not this episode. Because like I, I saw, I saw that on like a Simpsons wiki too. It's like, oh, this is not canon, and I'm like, yeah, because the that next episode did something really stupid and decided <laughs> to make. Now, of course, he's not a 60 year old man. It's conceptually, I'm not, I'm not annoyed by it. It's an okay if it didn't invalidate canon and it was creating just new canon for Ned that he's like, well, yeah, he's a 60 year old man who's never done anything in his life. That's why he looks so young fine okay but when they've already had this episode that makes it so clear when he was a child i yeah. just don't like that i mean they've had several episodes and in fact i don't know if they ever stuck with that uh him being 60 it might have just been a one-off thing they might not for have, that reality yeah. for the reality of that episode yeah i think they kill off mod so soon after that that you kind of just forget about his <laughs> age and they just put him back in those two episodes age. blend together to me and it's just a, <laughs> a slurry of pain and resentment <laughs> uh, a uh, little lisa slurry Then again, this is another like Hall of Fame worthy line, and what I use many times in my life is when uh, we see the parents. Well, I'm afraid young Ned is unusually aggressive, but I can't seem to find a cause for it. Hey, hey, get down from that bookshelf, please. 
Most of those books haven't been discredited yet. <laughs> Would you please tell your son to stop? We can't do it, man. That's discipline. That's like telling Gene Krupa not to go boom, boom, <laughs> bat, 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 boom, boom, bat, 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 boom, 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 bat, 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 boom, boom. Lack of discipline. I'm beginning to see the problem. We don't believe in rules like we gave them up when we started living like freaky beatniks. <laughs> you don't believe in rules, yet you want to control Ned's anger. Yeah, you've got to help us, Doc. We've tried nothing, and we're all out of ideas. So these parents uh, come from a one-off joke in Sweet Seymour Skinner's badass song when Ned flashes back to his childhood. I love... So that was uh, that was written by Oakley and Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that they brought them back as part of continuity. It's like, okay, this joke has to be the reality of Ned Flanders' life, and mm-hmm. it has to inform why he is the way he is. Yeah, I think in another episode they would have just been like, who needs to remember that one-off joke about his parents? We'll just make up new parents and do something with them, but yeah. not this joke. I always thought it was a joke. When the first time I saw it, when they brought it back, Like I remember thinking as a kid that maybe it was a little too far-fetched, mm-hmm. but it makes sense to me now like a little bit more but also i really like the line where he says where ned's trying to throw away the books he's like most of those books haven't been discredited yet yes yeah yeah. that's a great flashback line because so many psychological books of the 60s have been heavily discredited at this point but he won't know they're going to be discredited yeah and also and also his experimental therapy which we're about to get into but yeah Yeah. i've tried nothing and i've out of ideas that i've i feel like i've of any line of this episode i feel like i've seen that one meme (laughs) it's great it addresses any kind of government uh handled problem for the most part i want to go back to that uh sweet seymour skinner's episode so i found the line that introduces the flashback with his uh, beatnik parents so homer and marge are in ned's office he's the principal of the school when skinner gets replaced and he says well, I may go a little bit easy on the old hickory dickory stick, but that's just because my dad was so hard on me when I was a kid. So it all it all matches up. Yeah, it the sing songiness of like try nothing and we're all out of ideas. <laughs> it's it's so they had to make up a voice for her in in Sweet Seymour. It's only his father who speaks in the flashback, but it is Dan, and so it's Dan just reprising the very extreme and silly beatnik voice bit a great animation on him doing the uh, Gene Krupa imitation yeah. I, I love when they're when the animators are delivered a great voice track and they make the animation just sing based on that voice track mm-hmm. it's great do you know who Gene Krupa is uh i'm guessing a uh no i don't actually he's a he is a classic drummer just of the time i i only know Gene Krupa because it's sort of a plot point in um that thing you do, oh, okay. where the the drummer of the one hit, of the O'Neaters, he is obsessed with Gene Krupa and wants to move to L.A. to learn the, his drumming. He was an American jazz and big band drummer known for his flamboyant style. Mm. Okay, thank you, Wikipedia. Yeah, and now I hope every listener has that thing you do stuck in their head. Written by Fountains of Wayne. Hell yeah! I do not like that song. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's catchy. <laughs> it's like it's it's like bad teenage fan club in mm. my opinion. I like teenage fan club, but I'm not. They've had better songs. The Minnesota Spankological Protocol is something else, man. The University of Minnesota. It's don't it's, spank your kids, by the way. Yeah, and spanking him for four months. Like, I mean, this is this is joke is a criticism of uh, corporal punishment, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is not pro spanking. Like, it's, it's not at all. Uh, I kn- I know somebody who still spanks their kids, and oh yeah, no, still. Yeah. By the way, don't if you if you do spank your kids, don't weigh in on uh, this episode. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> The only problem with the treatment was that it worked too well. You became unable to express any anger at all. From that point on, any time you felt angry, 
you could only respond with a string of nonsensical jabbering. Well, I'll be darned diddly aren't. <laughs> yeah, that's the stuff. You suppressed your rage for so long, it finally erupted as a massive public explosion. It sure did diddly ed. All right, all right, just watch it there. Sir. I'm here to help, you know. Now, I'd like to try something. Is there any person who makes you particularly angry? Yellow. <laughs> you knew it was going to be Homer. Every viewer knew it was going to be Homer. It was really established during his rants. Yes, yeah. I also really love the animation of when little Ned is learned to suppress his rage of like, oh, yeah. His little, like, he's like, how do you feel? Nice. Yeah, he's like, like eye twitches. Yeah, you yeah. know, you know it, it didn't really help him. Well, and that's the thing, like. I guess it, it didn't make sense to me at the time because I would have assumed, like, growing up in kind of a Bible Belt-ish area that Ned also grew up in a very strict family. Mm-hmm. But it kind of makes sense now that he grew up in a family with no structure and then he had just, like, this intense corporal punishment. And it's like how somebody goes through the military. Like, oftentimes, you know, people who have serious behavioral problems or something, they'll go through the military and the the what what it ends up kind of training you to be is this just kind of like merciless like suck up to authority yeah like, and it makes sense that like that's what Ned has structure with in his life as a kid that's where you know that's where he's getting some kind of response from people in authority around him so he just kind of keeps doing that I guess yeah it really matches up with what we see of him as a character throughout the series and that he is very much about order and routine and being prepared for everything mm-hmm. and just that I mean this is the struck this is the the spankological protocol gave him the structure to turn him into the Ned that we know well and his extreme repression also yeah. and his turn the other cheek attitude is also part of that repression i wonder if that's why he what drew him to christianity too because he he's not a christian child yeah in these flashbacks so only the repression did and and it's also just a shocking revelation that anytime before now when you've heard him say a diddly line or any of his dumb diddly crap that it's just what he is really saying is fuck all of you like yeah. fuck everybody i hate you that's it's so great that foster takes his like hey all right i'm here to help you like comment Calm that down. Well, I, I, I mean, I do that sometimes too, where it's like particularly mad about something, and I'll be like, my gosh, you know, <laughs> or just like. So the other Flanders at the uh, the barbecue. Uh, so Jose <laughs> Flanders did get the spankological protocol because he just said, Bueno, ding dong, diddly dia. That's right. But Lord Thistlewick Flanders <laughs> doesn't like doing the diddly. So I think he's like <laughs> even keeled. Uh, googly <laughs> doodly. Totally yes. <laughs> so I guess we can't apply this too far outside, yeah. outside of Ned. But that is the problem with making his parents hippies. Too. Yeah. So then the uh, the family goes to the uh, mental institution, which they at Comwood they stick in a few surprise that in my first view I'm like, whoa, that's a surprising cameo here. Like, but more history shoved in here. Mr. Simpson, Doctor Foster, please come with me. You folks are free to roam the grounds. Uh, just remember, one of our patients is a cannibal. <laughs> Try to guess which one. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Everyone outside of this room is against me. I can hear you walking by. It stinks. It stinks. It stinks. 
Yes, Mr. Sherman, everything stinks. It was great to know the the fate of uh, Jay Sherman. You eventually yeah. went mad. <laughs> yeah, though, this the, is after the critic is canceled. I yeah, yes. one year. So that the summer before last. Though the webisodes would invalidate the scene, or maybe he just he got out of Comwood <laughs> and then started doing those webisodes. webisodes are not canon. <laughs> uh, those are those are like a death dream that Jay Sherman had, <laughs> and an unhappy one. <laughs> that feels like uh, we got into that slightly in our mic reese interview but this feels like a revenge uh for the crossover <laughs> episode to say like you know what your character's canceled never seen him again we're saying he dies in a mental institution in springfield we also see uh lucille Batsukowski, the mm-hmm. babysitter bandit uh famously from the first produced episode that was such a mess that it ended up being the last episode to air that season and i was looking at this character on um wikipedia or sorry the springfield wiki or whatever did she ever come back like they had to bring her back on like season 28 out after like season three she stopped appearing in crowd scenes and that was it i think that's like the memories associated with her are too bad <laughs> to actually put her back on the show but she needs to come back before penny marshall dies yeah i think she's still alive right maybe yes gary marshall gary's gone warm food but <laughs> no, maybe penny's not friends with uh, james l brooks anymore maybe but they they cleaned up her character design i mean if you look at how she used to look she's an ex- she's yeah, a look se- at that. season one ass as hell I, i'm that's showing duck everybody man. that's, that's yeah. duck man that is Duckman. That's Bernice. Trust yeah, well, the, yeah, the entire style yeah. was different. And yeah. her just bizarre saggy breasts. It's it's a mm. it's a strange drawing. It's it's more of a like not completely like squash and stretch, but mm. like uh, <laughs> looks a little bit yeah. more like when that. she squashes and stretches a lot in that episode too. In in an actually very well drawn scene, but all wrong for the Simpsons of yeah. of her saying like and I don't know what I'll do because everybody does what I say. It looks like a scene from Family Dog or something. <laughs> not not the TV series, but the Brad Bird directed yeah. shorts. Um, well, and and the, the, a bit bigger problem with that episode also is the the writing just doesn't. Not one of the best. Come off. Yeah, right. no. I'm like, so glad that was not the first episode to air. It would have been. Yeah. Uh, we would not be talking about the Simpsons now. And also, one of the guys who slams the door is John Schwartzwelder, yeah, writer for the show who. Uh, they're making fun of what a recluse he is. <laughs> Though Mike Reese, as he said in our interview, he's like, he's trying to demystify Schwarzwald. He's like, look, he's your dad's friend. He's an old Republican who wants to talk about baseball. Yeah. There's nothing weird about him. I think I think, I think, think Felix Biederman, I think, mentioned at one point that he's like, John Schwarzwalder is his favorite reactionary. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to pick one libertarian that's my favorite, it would be him or Steve Ditko, R.I.P. He's at least a funny libertarian. And yes, that seems yeah. to be impossible. <laughs> Lovitz is credited on this, even though that had to just be archival footage. Yeah, yeah. Was, uh, there's they, no way they got him. Do you think they called in John Lovitz no. to say it stinks? And then he'd have to like approve. I don't think John Lovitz would approve of his character being in a mental institution <laughs> either. No, I don't think they got him. Uh, and we get a little Silence of the Lamb joke about uh, a cannibal. Like, guess which one? I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. It's funny. So I'm sorry to take us off topic for a second here. But if you listen, so Mike Reese has done a lot of interviews. And I don't know if he said this during our interview, but I think on the Chapo one, the Chapo Trap House episode, Mike Reese was saying that John Lovitz did not want to do the critic. Mm. He didn't like doing the critic. But now that's all John Lovitz wants to do is the critic again. <laughs> it's the only thing people remember him for now, maybe. <laughs> like that's so that's so funny. And uh, yeah, listeners, 
Friends of the show, Matt Chrisman and Virgil, Texas, they did the interview with Mike Reese. And so after you've listened to our Mike Reese interview, <laughs> only then you should look up the Chapo Trap House. I, I still haven't listened to that one. It's it's really good. Especially like they, they start off with a homeboys in space question, which I will say we failed. Homeboys to talk in to... outer space, Henry. They're Pardon not just me. in space. <laughs> uh, Wait, we... homeboys from outer space. Oh, God. I got it all wrong. Yeah. Homer is peak. Well, not peak, but he is definitely jerk-ass Homer here. That that bubblegum, which he has to be for plot purposes. Him just blowing the bubblegum in his face. I'm just like, come this on, This is the Homer. most obnoxious possible thing he could be doing in that moment. <laughs> oh, one thing, Henry. I have, to, uh, I have to apologize. It's homeboys in outer space. I Presumably, they're from Earth, mm-hmm. and then they went into space. I don't know this, the history of the show, but you were correct <laughs> okay. in some way. All right. <laughs> Leave your comments at home, homeboys fans. <laughs> Ned is getting tested, and this is another long clip but it's this is this is probably my favorite lines of the show oh that's it you just can't insult this guy you call him a moron and he just sits there grinning moronally hi neighbor <laughs> you know what your problem is flanders you're afraid to be human no now why would i be afraid of that because humans are obnoxious sometimes humans hate things well maybe a few of them do back east <laughs> i can't find what homer's saying back did you east. write that um did you like it Come on, Flanders. There's got to be something you hate. What about mosquito bites? Mm-mm. Sure are fun to scratch. Mm, satisfying. What about, uh, fluorescent lights? Ooh, they hum like angels. You're never lonely if you got a fluorescent light. <laughs> See? You like everything. Mm, no, that's not true. I, 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 I don't like the service at the post office. You know, it's all rush, rush, get you in, get you out. Uh, then they've got those machines in the lobby. They're even faster. No help there. You might even say, I hate the post office. <laughs> that and my parents. Lousy beatniks. Hey, that felt good. He just said he hates his parents. Do you know what that means? Um, what do you think? It means he's cured. That's what I said. <laughs> I think the Simpsons' view of uh, mental health, uh, between this and fear of flying, I think their perspective is the thing that's bothering you is always the most obvious thing. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Marge and Ned, it's uh, daddy issues. Yeah, and if you ju- and if you just say it out loud once, then it's fixed. Yeah, like you, by recognizing the problem, then it's all gone. Yeah. In the case of uh, Weig, right? Yes, Wise y- or yes. Weig? Weig. Okay. In the case of her, she wanted March to come back and have that, more therapy. That is true. <laughs> yeah. she's, she's better at it than Doctor Foster. <laughs> Also, like, Ned must have been to the Berkeley post office Mm -hmm. because it's the most uh, miserable post office I've ever been to. I I think I went in there because I used to live downtown Berkeley. I think I, and it's like, it's that, like, historic post office. Yep. Uh, and I think I went in there probably three or four different times, and almost every time there was a shouting match happening in that oh, post office. Oh boy! At least one, at least two of the times there mm-hmm. was a shouting match between the customers and the people working behind the there. People working there. Look, uh, I don't. I hate being mad at cashiers yeah, and stuff. Yeah. It's not. It's not right. And I've even I've gotten so mad there that I have to like I do the Ned repression thing too of like don't get mad at them. They're yeah. working a shitty job, but. How could you be less helpful to me? There's no yeah. way you could be less helpful. I, I definitely had experience with them like that. And also, um, 
I mean, also a lot of the customers who go there. Oh, too. yeah. They're I, like I, Berkeley moms. Oh, yeah. I'm never a talk to your manager guy. And again, like you, Henry, I, I never like to get in like a server's face or a, a clerk's face or whatever, even if they're being rude to me, because my theory is you've dealt with assholes your entire life and you can never give me the benefit of the doubt because why would you? Yeah. In the case of me, I had to get a passport and I, I write all the stuff like here. So you get a passport, you go to the post office, you do this, you do that. And if you don't have a picture with you, they'll take your picture. And I was like, okay, cool. And I'll go there and the woman is very surly and she's like, where's your picture? And I'm like, oh, it said on the website, you can take my picture for me. And she looked at me like, you're making me do my job. <laughs> come on, come on. I mean, boy, I, I just, I was, I was so ashamed. I was so ashamed and scared. I'm glad I came with my picture when I went to that same yeah. po- a passport office. I didn't even think uh, of that being a problem. It was more like you're making me stand up and it's like, I don't, I don't want you to have to stand up. The yes. website told me this, ma'am. I'm sorry. I had a, a woman there, uh, literally go back and look for a package i don't even think she looked for the package and then come back and said it wasn't there mm. and then i like uh called the like post office dispatcher she's like you have to call this number because it's not here because they never delivered this package but yeah that was the first thing they never left a slip mm. and they never did de- and i had to pick up the package before they sent it back mm. but they never left a slip i only knew on the website so i went back i called them and they were like no it's at the post office it's at that post office and i was like but they said it's at the dispatch and the guy was like he literally said they always say that <laughs> and i'm like what so what do you want me to do because they're not going to give it to me and then like an hour later i went back different uh person at the counter and she went back 10 seconds later came back with my package wow the first woman just didn't want to do her job i guess <laughs> we have to say though also it is kind of unfair uh to be too judgmental of the post office because they're they're woefully underfunded yes mm-hmm. and the government's like this is a business that should make money instead of this is a miracle that we can send things across the earth yeah. for like almost no money yeah no i don't want to it's just yeah. like that particular post office. because yeah. uh, we might have some uh, workers listening and again we don't want to be dicks to uh, to hard-working no, people the but the post office yeah. is a miserable job and i mm. don't envy anyone who has yes. to work the, uh, the, 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 the other Berkeley, oh i was just gonna say, but the Berkeley po- Post Office is on pa- on San Pablo. That they're good folks. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I get in and I get out, as Ned says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I also went to the Oakland downtown Oakland Post Office, and the person there was very nice. The, yeah. the one or two I, times I went there, we so. are now. This is now the Yelp review podcast. <laughs> um, Four stars. But the thing that you miss these lines, which kind of makes me sad. But it the the first few lines of when they're giving Homer like something on a on a card to oh, read. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. he said the first like the first one. He says I mock your value system, system yeah. and then and then like the, and then ned doesn't react and then he says proceed to level two antagonism <laughs> and, it's so and, clinical and and then homer says past instances in which i profess to like you were fraudulent <laughs> what does ned say because i better work harder <laughs> I I better work. and then and then and then he's like um you know i slept with your significant other or spouse or whatever yeah. but I, the other thing I, I like about that is that that weird like character of that other guy who's in yeah. there with dr Fra- who just like pretends that he came up with homer's lines like he's <laughs> he's like really wants to impress this guy for he's some reason really terrible at his job and just coasting and but he can't he doesn't want to be caught so he's just like uh what did you think <laughs> he, like he didn't do his homework for this experiment yeah. he's just like showing up oh shit <laughs> I, I remember when i first watched this episode i remembered that guy like all the yeah. time and it's just like a weird joke like because mm. it's like it's so weird like why would it but it, it's just making fun of these guys as mental health professionals. I and, and I loved I loved Homer's coining of the term moronally. Moronally. Yeah. Moronally. Yeah, he's sort of putting he's sort of making the word up as he talks. Moronally. <laughs> is his tempo to it, yeah. 
I I also like I think one of the the times when when he opens up Ned just sticks his head out and he's like hi neighbor and, and, just, <laughs> yes. like, really and when when the window goes up he like follows it as it goes up <laughs> and and when the window goes down on Homer it's a really good front facing Homer on yeah. that one too I like complimenting quality front facing Simpsons <laughs> when they're not creepy and they look they look normal and I like the animation on the kind of like satisfied smile Ned has once he finally says he hates his parents. It's just like, hey. Yeah, that my parents. Mm. Well, this is the thing that also, when I mentioned Moral Oral earlier, kind of made me think of that. Because the, the whole, the, the place that Moral Oral ends up in is like the character realizes that his dad is a piece of shit and is like yeah. able to acknowledge that. And like, while it is kind of, they're kind of making fun of how it's like, just admitting that you don't like your parents is like the first step out of like a hundred and dealing with that kind of trauma yeah. from your childhood. It's still like that's something that is that is, you know, real. And the ending of every moral oral is uh, him learning a lesson, but when it cuts to the dad's den, he's he's putting his belt back on. <laughs> so it's like he just was beaten with a belt. Yeah. 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 And then when that when that show ends, it kind of ends at the point place where you realize like, you know, this was not actually Yeah. <laughs> Every lesson you learned was wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure all of Moral Oral is on whatever streams adult swim stuff like Hulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, so check it out. They don't have they only have the first season on Aww. DVD and it's like the worst season. The first season yeah. is funny, but the second and third season it's are It's a lot the of one note like, jokes. Yeah. yeah. It's like what if Davy and Goliath were weird and mm. you know but yeah eventually gets more high concept after that first season that's why I definitely recommend if you can find the episodes at least digitally watch like through the first season and get to the like second season and the third season also so. it's like the only other non-Mr. Show place Jay Johnston ever uh, appears I miss <laughs> Jay Johnston he's the herky turkey dancer yes yeah he there are a lot ha- of Mr. Show people on that show he has no yeah he, he has uh, Jay Johnston he has almost no scenes in the Roddy Dobbs movie either Aww. he had a deleted scene where his family is applying to be on a reality show saying like hot dog for a hot show uh, are you talking about Run Ronnie Run? Yes. yes. Uh, I, I tried watching that via Netflix uh, DVDs, and the DVD was too scratched halfway through the movie, and I was like, you know what? I'm good. Run, yeah. run Ronnie Run. Yep. I'm okay. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Back to the Simpsons. Yeah. yeah. They head outside. Everybody's welcoming Ned. There's one sign that you can see for like one second that says, Free John Schwarzwelder. Once again, confirming that is him inside. He's in there writing his uh, Frank Burley novels. <laughs> uh, but we get, uh, we get Ned letting everyone know... Things are just fine, and the whole universe is reset, and everything's back to normal. Thanks, everyone. I'm all better now. No more storing up the anger till I explode. (laughs) If any of you does something I don't like, you are going to hear about it. (laughs) Yes, that's very healthy, Ned. And if you really take me off, (laughs) I'm going to run you down with my car. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
it's fine. Next, I believe in the next episode, it's just the chili cook-off time, and he's not thinking about that. Yeah. He's, he's about to go to jail for his uh, fraudulent <laughs> claims about chili. We'll see. Sir. And, uh, of course, You So Crazy is the famous Martin Lawrence catchphrase. It's also the name of his 1994 stand-up uh, movie, stand-up special, or yes. whatever you call it. Uh, and he had, uh, in season seven, he had been put behind The Simpsons. He was the 830 slot again. But for this season, season eight, he's been moved off of The Simpsons night again, replaced by Ned and Stacy, which mm. was... Aired next to the this. episode that I was just listening to of this of this <laughs> that you were talking about Martin Short, which or sorry Martin Lawrence, which is mm-hmm. did it happen to be uh, Bart's girlfriend? No, it was you were talking about the Martin Lawrence like running around. You said Martin. Oh Lawrence, yeah, right? Martin yeah, Lawrence. His uh, exhaustion. Yes. Yeah. yeah. His like well, his running around with a gun or something in it public w- mm-hmm. probably wasn't PCP. I don't know. It's you know what's really weird is how he just all forgot that he got sued by his co-star Oof, on that show. Yeah. I looked in that like Tisha Campbell. She while they were making season five she was suing him for sexual harassment and abuse and the settlement they came to was like to get her to appear on the two-part series finale but only she her requirement was i will not be in a scene with martin and so it's and that's why there will never be a martin reunion show at least not with tisha campbell they they can bring back everything as a netflix series but not martin no i guess living single Though it's just weird that we like let that go. It's another thing's like, well, wait. He- there was the SNL thing too. Oh, where he, yeah. He had that like. Oof. Uh, talking yeah. about. He, uh, he had some issues. W- uh, women's uh, hygiene, yes. if you will. <laughs> Though this is the usual season eight thing of them pretending everything has been reset, but then really giving you a little eye twitch to say like, oh no, it's not been reset. But yeah, I in think- this case, unlike other changes that were permanent, like the divorce of the Millhouse's parents or in later episodes, Edna and Skinner getting together, this is never addressed, never addressed ever yeah. again. Yeah, but I think in a way, in in a not like elegant way, Liz, they're, they're sort of hanging a lantern on the fact that they didn't really fix a lot where the run you down with my car is addressing that's like Ned's not okay. Mm-hmm. And like the, re- and then that can, that can also apply to like Ned's house, Ned's business. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot, there's a lot that's unaddressed, but Homer says a quote unquote, very sitcom thing to like yeah. wrap it up, you know, like yep, it's says- basically is that's all folks of the episode. <laughs> but you know that it's not. And that's the, that's the thing. Like season eight, like there are some, a few episodes in season eight in particular that I love, but like kind of break the show. Yeah. In a yeah. Lot of ways. And people have talked about this a lot with Homer's enemy. That's the biggest example but um, uh, yeah henry was saying like i like i like your analogy henry it's like season seven is them playing with the toys in the sandbox and season eight is them breaking all the toys <laughs> but it, it's in these episodes they're able to do it and it's it, it's really good because they they are playing with all the you know seasons and seasons have built up like oakley and weinstein are big simpsons fans like these are veterans they're they're building all this stuff that has been built up to this point and and then they're releasing it a little bit but after this, like, I feel like it's it's one of those things where they would try and do stuff like this. They would try and do something serious, but then they would treat it as a joke, whereas mm. this episode treats it very seriously. So, like, you know, Ned losing his house, that's not a joke. It's not funny. Like, and he does, like, legitimately lose it. Ned loses his wife, and, like, it's just kind of... She dies in like a funny, jokey way. Yeah. And but then they want you to feel bad about it. He would like, be totally and utterly, completely distraught. He would, he would be have like murdered everyone in town. Yeah. Like, he would. He or or he would have been borderline suicidal. Yeah. Like, 
That's not very funny, though. But, I mean, we talked uh, to Mike yeah. Scully. What was his uh, thought? What were his thoughts about that? Like almost twenty years he, later, he regretted it. Yeah, I think. he felt that, and it was only a decision they made, kind of just like snap decision of, well, we lost the actress anyway. Kind of don't know what we're doing, and uh, we're going to do with her. And then someone floats the idea of, hey, we should kill off a character this year. Who should we do? And they're like, well. Maud's not coming back. What about that? Yeah, I really believe that if handled better, that could have been a great springboard for more stories about Ned in a, in a different light. But obviously, it was not handled well at all. Did, did the actress die? Uh, no, she uh, wanted money. It was Maggie uh, Roswell, and I think it's, it was because like she had to fly in every time she recorded, and they I didn't see. want to pay for her flights. Eventually, she did come back to the show because they did pay, start paying her for that. It's a billion. Yeah, again, I, I get again. so mad. They, they could have like... done like I remember like one of the classic examples is on the show News Radio when Phil Hartman's character died. They had his character died in the show, obviously, but you know it was like kind of a serious episode. And mm-hmm. I remember I'm not saying that show was perfect, but like I remember them handling it pretty well. Given, oh, yeah, and I mean it's a much more serious event than someone leaving the show because of money. But maybe they could have done an episode like it. Just it kind of goes to show like I think they cared so much about the the universe of the Simpsons, um, like Oakley and Weinstein and some of those writers. But like people after that, you know, it's maybe they just didn't think. That people identified or cared as much on the outside yeah. as as they did, and they didn't necessarily take as seriously some of the stuff that was like set up. Um, because I think that if without season seven and eight, like people's dislike of season nine, ten, eleven, twelve, like all that stuff wouldn't be as strong. And I think part of that is because they set up all of this stuff that mm. that then is just kind of turned around in a way where it's kind of irreversible. It makes it even more painful when you. See- see seven and eight move forward on some stuff and then uh, an attempted regression in episodes that also just aren't as good as these like objectively like not not to say they're all bad but when they're not as good and then they erase these episodes you're like well this it, it leaves a sour taste yes. yeah yeah i i do wish they would have ran with some of these changes but um unfortunately they, they wanted to quote unquote fix some of these uh things they mm-hmm. saw as errors on the part of these showrunners but we love them we're still in season eight and this is a great episode thank you so much for being on the show liz no problem uh please promote yourself you've got oh, a patreon yeah. you got a lot going on you yeah, games my, and game music and everything like that yeah my twitter is at e-l-l-a-g-u-r-o-l-o-g-u-r-o and i have a patreon probably going to be doing some sort of video game related podcast in the future oh, Not, cool I, it mm. might it might have started it by the time that you actually listen to this so check that out yeah and i have a podcast kind of sporadic uh usually once a month like uh called beyond the filter and that episode that they were talking about with Felix Biederman is on there, a bunch of other people, some video games, some you know other media. I do a lot of kinds of stuff. And yeah, I do game stuff, game design, write about games. So keep a lookout for that. I actually mentioned the game Thief, and I might be writing an article about that just because I was playing through that again. Oh, so. cool. I'll check that out. Yeah, thank you so much, Liz. As for us, we are supported by our Patreon. That is the Talking Simpsons Patreon. So if you go to Patreon dot com slash talking simpsons you can see how you can support the show and there are so many great incentives for you to support the show at the five dollar level we have so many bonus podcasts including all of our exclusive mini series like talking critic talking futurama interviews uh season wrap-ups community podcasts
podcast, uh, deleted scene uh, commentaries from us on everything from season five onward, and so much more to check out there. Anything else I'm missing, Henry? What's the latest cool Patreon exclusive that we have for everybody? Uh, well, the time of this recording, it is the season seven wrap-up, where we go through all our favorite episodes and moments of the season, and the news that happened during the broadcast time of the episodes. Plus, we did a season seven deleted scenes commentary in audio form, but if you go up to the $10 premium level, you'll be able to see the video version as well to see all these jokes some which were really great some man they're all right but there's some really great jokes in there that i'm like sad like oh this would have this one about serving size from king size Home yeah. would have been forever it would be just as memorable as any other it would have been a classic and I, I asked uh bill oakley on twitter there is a cut joke from scenes from the class struggle in Springfield, where while Marge is at the country club, Homer and the kids are sitting in the car listening to quote unquote airport radio. So, <laughs> radio announcements from the airport. And on the commentary, Bill's like, Josh always wants to get this scene into a show. <laughs> and I asked Bill, did he ever do that? And apparently, it was part of a never made Mission Hill episode. So, <laughs> he re- that's, that's my tidbit for you today. If you care at all, <laughs> I'm sorry for wasting your time. Uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. My other podcast is Retronauts. Uh, find that at retronauts.com or look for Retronauts in your podcast machine. It is a classic gaming podcast, and we've been going on for 12 years. And I think you know about us, but if not, check us out. I think you'll like it, Henry. I'm at H E N E R E Y G on Twitter. Follow me there for updates about the show and new things that are happening in our world of the simpsons thank you for listening folks we'll see you next for the mysterious voyage of homer i'm sorry i took french i don't know the spanish pronunciation we'll see you then infotainment.